Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Discover a new educational and interactive podcast, Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids. Our episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We went shape hunting around the block, and we found spheres and cubes on the street. That was great fun. Join Stories for Kids, the Lingo Kids podcast, inspiring you to learn while having fun. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Still living in 2021 and manually taking notes? There is a better way. Start the new year with otter.ai. Automatically get meeting notes. Otter.ai works for virtual meetings like Zoom, Microsoft Teams, and Google Meet. Sign up on the web for free or download in the app stores. Otter.ai. That's O-T-T-E-R A-I. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. I'm Micheline Malouf. And I'm Nadia Desi, licensed therapists and host of Getting Better, Stories of Mental Health. Join us for discussions with Megan Trainer, Chris Bosch, Rebel Wilson, and more. From discussing motherhood to immigrating to general mental health, our guests are awe-inspiring. We all struggle with the same things, so let's talk about it and destigmatize them. Find our new podcast, Getting Better, Stories of Mental Health, on iHeart, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Each of us has a purpose. We are destined to do something meaningful, not only to support our loved ones, but to positively impact our communities throughout the country. What do you think a private Christian education looks like? Grand Canyon University graduates 25,000 students yearly and offers more than 225 high-quality programs across nine colleges. Find your purpose at GCU. Visit gcu.edu. Welcome to Money Making Conversations. It's the show that shares the secrets of success experienced firsthand by marketing and branding expert Rashawn McDonald. I will know. He's given me advice on many occasions, and in case you didn't notice, I'm not broke. You know he'll be interviewing celebrity CEOs, entrepreneurs, and industry decision makers. It's what he likes to do. It's what he likes to share. Now it's time to hear from my man, Rashawn McDonald. Money Making Conversations. Here we go. Absolutely. Absolutely. Welcome to Money Making Conversation. That's right. I am Rashawn McDonald. I am your host. Each Money Making Conversation talk show is about entrepreneurship and entertainment. I provide the consumer and business owner access to celebrities, CEOs, entrepreneurs and industry decision makers. I recognize that we all have different definitions of success. For some, it's a sizable paycheck. Mine is helping people wake up and inspiring them to accomplish their goals and live their very best life. These are through their passions. And that's what I'll, that's what this show is all about. I want you to stop tripping over small challenges and pre- prepare to rise above bigger obstacles that life is about to present to you. The Money Making Conversation interviews provide relatable information to the listener about career and financial planning, entrepreneurship, motivation, leadership, 
overcoming the odds and how to live a balanced life. My next guest is on the phone. I'm so happy I saw HBO special. Uh, she is a Nigerian American actress comedian and writer. Her projects include starring as Molly on uh, HBO's critically acclaimed comedy series Insecure. Her first one-hour stand-up comedy special for HBO, Mama, I Made It! It is also available on <laughs> HBO Now, HBO Go, HBO On Demand, HBO Everywhere. Anything that has HBO on it, she's on it, okay? She is co-hosting her <laughs> podcast <laughs> and an upcoming faith-based book I want to talk to her about that's coming out in 2021, Bamboozled by Jesus, How God Tricked Me Into the Life of My Dreams. Please welcome to Money Making Conversations, my girl, Yvonne Orji. Hey, what's going on? How well, you doing? Well, first of all, first of all, I, I, I'm watching the special. I'm going, I see a rock star. I see Beyonce. I see Kelly Rowland coming out there just bouncing on the stage. Now, I'm telling you something. I'm a former stand-up comic. I don't want to claim it because I haven't been on stage in many years. But you came out lit. You came out and brought the heat at the beginning of your stand-up. Is that how all your sets are? You just made it special for that for the HBO special. Oh, no, that's, I'm hyped. I told, I told HBO, I said, I'm going to give you part documentary, part music video, part comedy special. They were like, what? I was like, just rock with me on this. Rock with me on this. And that's why I really, you know, really wanted Chris Robinson to direct my special because he, you know, Chris Robinson, he's done the, the, any music video you think of that was bombed. Chris Robinson was probably behind it in some way, shape, or form. And so I was like, and he's also a hometown hero. Right. Um, um, and so, uh, he was from DMV, I should say, he was like, well, hometown. He's also from the DMV. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, no, all my shows are hype. Like I, 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 I'm one of those times that come off with a lot of energy and a lot of heat off top, like off rip. Um, because I think that just sets the tone. I feel like if, I feel like if the audience is having a right. good time, I mean, they're going to have a good time with the jokes, but if you get them like, hey, come on, mm -hmm, you, know, mm -hmm. you bring the guard down, you mm -hmm. just like, I want to be happy up here, and I want you to be happy over there. So right. if we all on the same page, let's, get these, let's, let's rock. Well, you threw that. I, I think it. You threw that. Yeah. You do that. <laughs> okay, because I'm going to tell you this, because I see the character on Insecure. You're a lawyer. You you know, you, you really don't show that type of energy on this on this series that you become famous for. And so when you came out on the stage like that, and you know, you was looking fine. You, you was tall, statue was hair right and everything. You was rocking and, and everything running from side to side of the stage. That was a positive play on my energy sitting at the house. So I know it, I know it played big in that theater, Howard Theater in D.C., Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, the the camera panned to the audience, and they were like, "Hey, yes. <laughs> you know, I had the I had the artist Midlow, uh, so that that was an original track created specifically for the trailer. Absolutely, and the artist Midlow, she did her thing on that on on that track, and so it was like to be able to give back the time and the space for it to breathe, for it to be like, yo, mama, we made it, you know, and mm -hmm. and just everyone not knowing what to expect, and it's like, oh, she, oh, she's some dancers? Okay, well, we still dancing, let's go. <laughs> you know, it wasn't just like an entrance song. It was like, no, we're making an entrance. You made an entrance. Um, you made an entrance. You made an entrance. Yeah. I, 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 now, Lagos, Nigeria, you know, we cut, we do interplay on the, there's inserted in the whole process and fell in love with your mom. I know she's taken care of. I know she's still there, you know, because when she, when mm -hmm. you brought the groceries in, I'm going to tell you something. When you brought the, the, the cinnamon raisin, 
uh, bagels, I believe, and then the cinnamon uh, uh, bread. I went, that's my girl right there. See, that's all I eat. I reach, I eat, I love cinnamon toast with the little raisins in it, and I love the cinnamon. So, so when when you brought that in, me and her were on the same page. We could eat breakfast together every day of the week. And I said, but it was just a yeah. really, really natural atmosphere that you created. You just want to show people where you came from, and also going back and showing everybody, you know, you really did make it, Yvonne. Oh, I appreciate. I, 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 I'm in the I'm in the process of continuing to make it. Like, oh, yeah. I, I made it this far, but there is there is far more to go. How about that? But no, I think that it's funny because that was one of those things that I couldn't even write. You can't even write. Oh, it's no. like I'm I'm giving her all these things, and she's still hung up on one thing that I did not deliver. And I'm like, Lord Jesus, help us <laughs> But you know, the thing about it, when I say you made it, you know, I come from the hood. You know, uh, six sisters, two brothers. Uh, father was a truck driver. Mom graduated from high school, and uh, and it, everywhere, you know, you have goals. And I could tell from your from watching your career, watching the special, you're goal oriented, and you also are blessed by the opportunities that have been received by you and so you you at each point i feel that when you say when i say you've made it this is like winning the super bowl you want to win another super bowl you know but you're going to tell everybody i won this super bowl and i felt that that's what this special when i was watching it watching you return home in lagos was 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 a a testament to saying look you can do it i'm doing it okay and i'm gonna come here and show you hbo is gonna follow me i'm bringing my boy chris with me he's gonna direct me and we're gonna throw down at howard theater and i'm gonna show you where i came from to show you that i came from over here my family's still living they get to share your brother get to share in your love and get to tell their story that's what i'm saying when i say you made it because believe me i know your journey to greatness is still is still at the top of the iceberg okay I appreciate that, man. I'm, I'm like, yo, you are. I, I'm not with you. I appreciate you blessing me and speaking good life over my life. No, I, I, I receive, brother. I receive. Well, you know, the thing about it is that we know. The thing about it is that as as a female stand up comedian, you know, I know as a stand up, it's tough for African American stand up before Def Comedy Jam came along. I was doing jokes, you know, Jerry Fineville, Dennis Leary, Sam Kennison, and all that. Then Def Comedy Jam came out, and it opened a, a whole new world for black comedy to come to the mainstream to start filling up venues, start filling up comedy clubs, and then being a female comedian, you know, there's even a different path to that. Talk about uh, your life as a female stand up coming up. I know you open for Chris Rock. But there's a journey and a and a path that you have to deal with being a female stand up and especially being a black female stand up. Can you talk about that? You're talking about the, the path you said? I'm sorry, yeah. I, I want to make sure I understand. No, no, I'm just talking about the path you take as a stand up. But of course, being a black female stand up, that's a different journey too because of the fact that it's a male dominated industry. For sure. I mean, and I think, I think. I think the fact that God made me Nigerian, which is you, you got to have like a thick, a thick skin, boy. You got to, you, <laughs> Nigerians are rough. We even say good morning, bro. Good morning. Like, why are you yelling? Why are you, why are you so upset? It's right, 8 right. o'clock in the morning. Right. So we, we kind of have that tough demeanor. And then, you know, I grew up with three older brothers that forgot that I was a girl. Like, right. They, they said they that. They said that in the special. Absolutely. So I think that was all preparation. You know, sometimes you think about like, why am I in this family? But then it's like, oh, you know what? I had to be in this family, you know, to learn these things because God was going to open up a door for me to be in this profession that, you know, is male dominated. But I come from a heavily patriarchal society. So this is no biggie. You know, I know when I started, 
people, I would, you know, I, I, fashion was always big for me. So I was right. like, even though I'm going to be on stage, I'm going to look amazing because I would always say, if my joke's bomb, well, my outfit's going to be bomb. You know what I mean? Like, because they're going to like something about me. And so I always made sure to like look presentable right. um, in that way. And I remember going to comedy clubs and they would be like, oh, are you here to do spoken words? Are you here to sing? And I'd be like, at the comedy club? <laughs> and, you know, because it was just like, well, what are you here to do? Like, it's, it's almost like you're too cute. You're too pretty yes. to be funny. And right. I was like, well, mm-hmm. y'all about to get these jokes and I'm, I'm sorry to disappoint you, brother. Right. And, you know, and it was kind of like, wait, so for a black female comic, you can either be overweight and funny. There you go. And, you know, because we know, because we know what that looks like. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, you can be... Like hood and funny, mm-hmm. but like intelligent, slim, pretty, mm-hmm. fashionable, and mm-hmm. you got jokes. Yes. Nah, yes. we don't yes. know. And I was like, yeah. I, well, I don't, I don't subscribe to that, and I don't believe that that, that those are my options. And that's and what came on the stage. I'm like, yeah, that's what hit the stage yeah. on on in his special. Because you know, I'm not going to tell people the jokes. I'm not going to tell people your routine. I'm going to tell people this: you came out on the stage lit. If you do not miss the opening, okay, she's on fire on the opening, and she carries that fire into her humor. You know, like a, a lot of comics that do that, they come out on stage with a lot of energy, and the, and the show kind of like every five minutes gets less and less funny. That is not happening here, okay. <laughs> She knew what I'm talking about. They come out there, be jumping around and be 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 clapping and everything. And the crowd be tired. They be tired. They work the crowd out. They be tired. And you come out there. And uh, the thing about it is me as a former stand-up, I always look at people that go, if they do material that I go, you know, I never thought of that. I would never have thought of that joke. You do a lot of that in your comedy. You're very observational. You're very uh, socially gifted in understanding how you can just, I always tell people about jokes, you know, every, every good joke is a hard right or a hard left. You know, it throws you for a curve and you, and you do a very good job of that and honing that skill. And so when you, when you talk about your stand up, Yvonne, what journey are you trying to tell people when you're on stage? Are you trying to relate to any of to the women? Are you trying to make a statement to the guys? Or are you just trying to be funny? Well, I appreciate that. You know, I think I think humor for me in my life, I think there's a place in entertainment to uh, for humor and education, right? Right. I think you know, or or to entertain and to educate, I should say, um, in content. And, you know, I know it's like, you don't go to a comedy show to get a lecture, but it's like, no, comedy is the way where you learn the most, right. you know, in, in such a digestible form, right? Mm-hmm. Every every comedian is, is, is teaching you something. Right. They're teaching you about them. They're teaching mm-hmm. you about the way they see the world. They're teaching you about, like, how you probably see the world, but you, you didn't know. And so, um, you know, through my jokes and through my humor, I think... Uh, I know that my crowd is heavily female, yes. right? I know I have the young female population who are like, <laughs> they hype. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Somebody, uh, Roy Wood Jr., uh, he, I love him so much. He came to my show in New York. And he was like, first of all, you got a crowd that lays out their clothes the night before. I Thank you. Know what he's like, so they get ready. Thank they, you. He's like, you're, you're, he's like you, you got a, a crowd that they, they, they lay out their clothes. And they're like, we going to Yvonne Orgy's show. We got to look right. I was like, well, God bless it. And then he was like, you got the gainfully employed crowd. And mm-hmm. you, got, you got the people who, you know, they, they buy tickets early. <laughs> you know, and that's, <laughs> you know, that's, that's absolutely like, true. Well, that's, 
That's what I saw. I'm telling you, that's what I saw. I saw I saw a attractive crowd. I used to own a comedy club called Hip Hop Comedy Stop. And I told everybody, when the good looking women started showing up to my club, I knew I was a hit. Uh, you know, because because that's that, you know the brand was on fire then. Because once they show up and lay out them clothes and make it an appointment that they're gonna come here and and spend their dollar and spend two or three hours of their time someplace, that's what I got. So I was I was it was like a look back on me going, wow, she really is carried a weight of a of a, of a group of people forward for the next 10, 15, 20 years. That's gonna be a growing fan base. But I know, but uh, I I I just gotta you know, switch gears right quick and congratulate you because we're gonna talk about the fact that we are talking about your HBO special Mama I Made It which premieres on HBO June 6th but being renewed on Insecure for another season while the season is still going on talk to me about that energy talk about that love for the series and the characters that you share the screen with on that show man I, I hit a piece that I was like this is amazing one the season is still going on two we in the middle of a pandemic right like how we would have shut down and HBO believes in the show so much that they're like, man, y'all coming back just in case there was ever any worry mm-hmm. or never they let outside open up again. Y'all go, y'all go, go into production. Right. And it's just get a time when we don't even know what production is going to look like. Mm-hmm. But HBO's like, but we're we going to figure out what the this season is going to look like. Um, and so I just thought that was a blessing. I really did. I thought like, wow, that was uh, a blessing in also how they believe in us as well. Mm-hmm. Um as a show and as a, and, and what they know that our show does the community of creatives and the community of, of fans who are watching every weekend. So, no, it's, it's great. I, I look forward to seeing the stories you get to tell, you know, a year in a row. You know, you're in all romantic this season. You know, you got your boy, you know, y'all ain't got time to spend with each other, you know, but uh, it's a very romantic season for you this 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 year. So we got to definitely carry that over to the next season. Of course, I don't know what's happening and how that relationship is going to end. And I'm not going to tell anybody about the relationship, but you just need to watch Insecure. I'm talking to Yvonne Orgy. <laughs> Look here, the third and fourth quarter, we know this country is going to be open up. We know June 6th, you have a special on HBO that's going to be on fire. I'm telling you, she's rocking the stage she's lit the crowd's lit she brings the comedy for one entire hour they have intercuts in it that goes back to her hometown you get to see her family get to see the community get to see how she grew up a little bit her fan base in lagos nigeria uh, my boy chris robinson i do know him he i back in the back in 2000 we shot uh uh 50 cents video together so i know the talent that he brings to the table he went back to howard theater in washington dc to do it yvonne you're special girl and i am not saying you've made it but you had to tell your mama that you did make it when you take this HBO special. <laughs> yes. That's all I'm saying, girl. Yes, yes, I did. I, I, I she still. I, I think she knows it. I, I think I just need to keep reminding her, like, Mama, no, we made, we did, we did with mom. Right, uh, we not what we used to be. Right. Well, you know, it was a, it's a, it's a, it's a tender moment in the end of the special where you know where you got emotional. All comedy aside, when did the, re- the realization that you was able to call home and say that. And that, that was a poignant moment for me because, you know, we all struggle and we, we try to define our success sometimes based on what other people are doing. But but in that moment that you talk about it in, in the individual, in the, 
in the end of the one hour special by calling home. Can you before we wrap up the show, can you just talk about that for a couple of seconds and and we'll we'll sign off and tell everybody to watch your special June 6th. I'm talking to Yvonne Orgy, the star of Insecure, the star of our HBO special, star of a podcast. She has a new book coming out that when she comes out, bamboozled by Jesus, how God tricked me into a life of my dreams. That's coming out in 2021. She'll be back on the show to talk about that. This show, we just talk about how she was just tearing the stage, putting it on fire. But on that stage, when you put it on the fire at the end of the special, you got emotional on me, Yvonne. Talk to me about that. I did. I did. Because it, it was a full circle moment, man. It, I, when I moved to New York, uh, and you know this as a comic, it was it was, it was a whole bunch of bringer shows. And mm-hmm. I was like, but I ain't bring nobody here. I ain't bring nobody here to New York but myself. And it was mm-hmm. like, well, in order for you to get stage time, you need five friends paying full price and a two-drink minimum. <laughs> yes, I'm yes. like, bruh, yes. if I did have friends, I'm about to lose all of them trying right. to, you know, work out this five minutes of material. Mm-hmm. So it was one of those like moments of like the rubber about to meet the road. And because I'm Nigerian, we're so entrepreneurial in our mindset. And because I'm a woman of faith, I'm just like, all things are possible. Uh, and so there was an open mic that somebody was giving up. They were like moving out of town and they were just like, we need somebody to take over the room. And it was me and a whole rack of like young male comics and nobody was jumping. And that's for me. I'll do it. I didn't know nothing about running nobody's room, but I was like, no, I'll I'll run the room because the, the way my mind thought was, listen, if I can't get FaceTime anywhere else, I'm going to get at least one day a week, two hours on in the room stage that you run. perfecting my, in a room that I run. And then guess what? I get to meet other comics. I'm in the community that I'm struggling to get into because they're going to want to come to me to get FaceTime. So like, I'm going to be the boss. Like, it, it was just, it just felt like this is what I'm going to do. This just makes the most sense. And it was one of those opportunities that presented itself, not as a lucrative opportunity by any means, because it cost me to run that show. It cost me to buy an amplifier and a good mic and run it like it was a real room and not just like a, a stop on another comic, you know, open mic right. in order to get to the next show. So, you know, but what came from that was the name. And I called it Mama Made It because in that moment I was like, man, wouldn't it be dope if, like, you know, a booker for any of these late night, you know, shows came by and they could see you and then they could put you on? I dream, I dream big. I, I still dream big. I'm like, wouldn't that be dope if that's what this room was set up to do? And, like, because who doesn't want to call home to tell their mom, like, mom, I made it. Um, and so that was the hope. That was the anticipation behind the open mic night. And when it came time to do the special, I was like, yo, this is a full circle moment right now. Like, I get to I get to have that dream of me trying to put other people on, so now me getting put on, and so that's why that's that's why I got a little choked up at the end. You're on fire, girl. I'm gonna let you go here. We 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 up against the clock. Want to see June 6th is her HBO special. I'm talking to the fantastic, the tall, the funny, the beautiful. From Lagos, Nigeria. She's entrepreneurial. She got multiple jobs, multiple skills. You've seen her on night school. You see her every Sunday on Insecure, been renewed. So she knows she has a job in the future. She knows she has a funny HBO special. So she will have a lot of jobs in the fall. My friend, I always know you can come to Money Making Conversation to talk to Rashawn McDonald. It's finally here, the season of celebration. And no matter how you celebrate with family and friends, whether you're preparing for Reyes Magos or Karamu, lighting the menorah, or going to Midnight Mass, Kohl's has just what you need to make those traditions special. Plus, you'll find gifts for all your loved ones. Send warm wishes with cozy fleeces, sweaters, loungewear, blankets, and throws. Support minority-owned or founded brands by giving gifts from Human Nation and Shea Moisture. 
or treat them to everyone's favorite activewear from top brands like Nike, Adidas, and Under Armour. And in the spirit of giving, Kohl's Cares is donating $8 million to local nonprofits nationwide committed to the health and well-being of our communities. No matter how you celebrate, when you shop at Kohl's, you're right where you belong. So this season, give with all your heart with great gifts from Kohl's or Kohl's.com. Whether your event needed one room or an entire conference center, Hopin has revolutionized the way people come together. With Hopin, you can host a fully-fledged digital meetup complete with one-on-one meetings, hands-on sessions, and expo booths. And because everything is hosted in a single, easy-to-use platform, it can be as big or small as you want, remain convenient for anyone who wants to attend, and give you access to data you never would have known otherwise. Visit Hopin.com to learn more and get started. Still living in 2021 and manually taking notes? Start the new year with otter.ai to generate automatic notes for meetings, interviews, or lectures. With otter.ai, you can search the meeting notes, insert images, play back the audio, and share them with your friends or coworkers. You can capture action items, remember meeting details, and keep everyone informed. Otter.ai works for in-person or virtual meetings like Zoom, Microsoft Teams, and Google Meet. Sign up for free at otter.ai or download the app for free. Otter.ai, that's O. You keep winning, all right? I appreciate you. All right. I appreciate you. Yes, sir. You know, I, I can brag about my guests. I can brag about my skill level. But my next guest is one of my favorites. She's my favorite. Okay. My next guest, television writing credits, because a lot of people know I'm a former sitcom writer. Okay. So when I see people who are writing, they have just a body of work that she has. I'm always uh, feel this is a blessed conversation because she has a skill set that's phenomenal. Her producing and writing credits include ABC's Pushing Daisies, ABC's Castle, The CW's Jane Diversion, the Jane Diversion, Marvel Netflix Daredevil. Currently, she is the co-creator, co-showrunner, executive producer for Apple TV Plus new series Home Before Dark, starring. Jim Sturgis, and the amazing Brooklyn Prince. You'll find out why when we start the interview, which has been renewed for a second season. Now, that's all you want in this business is get a renewable. But when you get when you write a series, you produce a series, and before it airs, it gets renewed. That's a blessing. A mystery inspired by the report of a real nine-year-old journalist. The storyline goes like this. When a young girl and her family moved back to the small town her father left behind, her pursuit, meaning the nine-year-old girl, of the truth leads to the unearthing of a long, buried cold case. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation, co-creator, co-showrunner, executive producer of Home Before Dark, Dara Resnick. Hi, so was nice that, to be here. Was that a lot? Can you was introduce that a, me everywhere I go. Huh? Was it, I'm gonna tell you something. Was that a lot? Because you know you got a lot going on. You got you. You're one of those a lot going on people, and that's impressive. That's impressive. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I, you. That was really incredible. I want you to follow me around everywhere I go. I, with you that. know, some with the storylines that you have, that can be written in. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, we do our best to include everything that needs to be included, and like you said, it's, I, I've been blessed to work on a lot of different kinds of shows because so that we, would work in the kitchen sink. That would definitely work in the Jane the Virgin series. Me following around, introducing you wherever you go. That totally. could definitely work in that Jane the Virgin for sure. Now, yeah. when yeah. I look at this body of work, you know. It, it, first of all, it just shows a range. I see comedy, I see drama, I see action, adventure, sci-fi, uh, and then this. Then we have this new series, series Home Before Dark. If you don't mind, before we get to Home Before Dark, 
I I just like to talk about and compliment you on your body of work uh, that you that you put before. And just 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 tell us about your mindset from a creative standpoint when you walk into projects and such a such a level of diverse projects that that I've just presented to the to the listeners on my podcast, Money Making Conversation. Well, I just I I go wherever I'm called. I mean, I, I know that that sounds overly spiritual, probably for, mm. for this conversation. Mm. But <laughs> I I really do try to read everything that comes my way and think about whether or not it's the thing that needs to be made or the right. thing that needs to be said at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and also, by the way, sometimes it's just something that I feel passionate about. Obviously, like Daredevil said a lot about justice and. Uh, you know, about vigilante justice in particular mm-hmm. and having to work sometimes outside the system. But like, ultimately, I was really just excited to work on a Marvel show because I'm a nerd. There you so, go. you know, it's, it's, it's sometimes it's fun and, and sometimes there's messaging um, in terms of wh- why I go where I go. That's the reason. And in terms of like why the, the different genres and the breadth of the work, one of the things I really love about what we do, and I tell this to my students because they teach at USC and Sundance and a couple other places, I, we can really write ourselves out of any corner. And it's, mm-hmm. it's been sort of the most beautiful part of my career has been this ability to not get pigeonholed into any one thing. It's every time, you know, you think, okay, well, I guess she's a romantic comedy writer. It's right. Like, well, let me show you this dark drama that I just wrote <laughs> completely change your expectations. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's, really is one of the most wonderful things about being a writer is, is being able to have that breath. And it's, it's, it's beautiful. I'm looking at your body of work now. Okay, I'm a nerd. Marvel, Netflix. Okay, Daredevil. Uh, my wife I mean, and I, oh, I'm telling you, you we we just couldn't wait. To, we, and we were binging too. I'm talking about when it started, we didn't stop every time. Now, the star yeah. of the show, Charlie Cox. Okay. Incredible yeah. athlete. Excellent actor, but the fight scenes, though, Dara. Yeah. I mean, and you know, one of my favorite all-time fight scenes was when he was coming down the stairwell. Remember that scene? Oh, incredible! Yeah, that we we used that fight scene, the hallway that that hallway fight scene. I'm talking about the stairwell one in my episode, the the fire escape one. Yeah, the fire escape there's, there's one. The yep. hallway, there's the hallway one in um, the first season, which is incredible. That's right. like a, a wonder. But, but it didn't. And then but that fire one, escape one. Oh my god! No. The fire escape one was really, really fun to shoot. Yeah, and um, you know, one of the things that was really cool for me was I I went from shooter, you know, where we ha- only had seven days to shoot uh-huh. our sequences and didn't always feel as safe as it might. <laughs> um, <laughs> And and uh, and then we went. I went to Daredevil, and I was really. I mean, that machine is such a. I'm very happy for everybody at Disney Plus who are who are now you know getting to make these new Marvel shows. But mm-hmm. the way that those Marvel Netflix shows was was run was really quite remarkable. And I, they took such painstaking care to make every single one of those action sequences fun as hell, completely reminiscent of the comics, and oh, yes. also really safe for oh, everybody yes. involved, so it was really, it was, it was a, and by the way, I grew up in New York City, so I, I would text, like, my, my movie nerd friends who I grew up with, right. mm-hmm. and be like, I am shooting an action sequence <laughs> on 17th Street, <laughs> oh, where God. I used to, like, hang out on the stoop, and, oh, like, you know, sip, 
sip beers with my friends. You know? Oh my god, that's awesome! You know, it, it, the thing about Daredevil, and I, and I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring up okay that the, those two fight scenes were great, and then the fight scene where he had to break out of the prison. Remember that one, of course. Love which it. Was incredible. I mean, that's my, my dear friend Iwan Nasser Dean wrote wrote that one, and I, I mean, he he killed it. That's my favorite sequence in the whole season. Okay, now I'm gonna tell you my favorite scene sequence was when the Punisher, you remember when the Punisher was sent in to kill that guy and he had to, he came out and realized he had been set up and he had to fight his way. Yeah. I'm going to tell you something. That was the most brutal. That was bloody as hell. That was great. Come on, dog. That was brutal, but I loved it. I went, wow. I just, I was tired watching it. I'm like, this guy has to be in incredible shape. I was like, oh yeah. Oh my god! So, so yeah. it's just it's just a fascination of being able to do work like that, Dar. I, I just I'm I'm kind of you know kind of like wishing I could be on your shoulder just watching sometimes because that stuff is so great. I'm a little nerd. I'm sorry. It, I'm it sorry. was really fun, and you know that really it really is it goes back to the thing that I started saying, right? It's like the, the one of the reasons to sign on to a, a Marvel show right. uh-huh. that has that kind of reach is you can actually sort of within that you can use that as a platform to say whatever you want to say you can talk about vigilante justice you can yes. talk about unfairness yes. in the yes. system you can and you know that it's actually getting out there in the world as oh. opposed to when i was on i love dick i loved i love dick it was great but ultimately i'm pretty sure we were mostly preaching to the choir i don't think that that feminist message mm-hmm. got much beyond the feminist audience mm-hmm. that you know it ended up finding it. So mm-hmm. the Marvel shows are really are really special because of their reach. Well, they're not only special because the the writing. I love the character development. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know the, the the how you remember when he came. He was in the he was at the bottom. I think at the bottom of that church and just watching him suffer uh, and deal uh, with the pain. And uh, I I guess you're saying this this dude really did watch the series. It's really you know, I'm sorry. Oh yeah, no, we <laughs> we were and and everybody on the show like really took such incredible care. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. With the with the original material, everybody was was a deep fan of the material. Everybody read the most recent comics. We we wanted to make sure that it was something that the deep fans of the show would love, but also be surprised by. Right, like, you know, be influenced by the comics, but not follow them so closely that everybody knew what was coming. Um, yeah, it was a real bummer for everybody when that got canceled. But oh. I was really why are you gonna lucky. do that, Dar? Why are you gonna do that? You I gonna know, bring up the bad? See, we were going to good. You know, I know it's canceled. You know, I know. God, that. God bless. But oh. I, I really wanted that fourth season for all the folks that stayed. I was very lucky. By then, I had moved on to Home Before Dark, but I had a lot of friends who were still on the show and were really good. bummed about it. Well, great transition to uh, an amazing series that I had the fortune of screening this weekend and um and watching yeah. amazing nine-year-old actress called Brooklyn Prince. Uh, you know, I you know, yes. in my you know Dakota Fanning. I thought she was brilliant. You know, watching her yeah. do her thing, yeah. um, and then transitioning through teen, and now as an adult actress, which is always very difficult to do. Um, yeah. I'm looking at this young lady. Tell us about her uh, and the whole casting process to bring her on board, and before we really get into the detail about the series, Home Before Dark. We were very lucky in that we were told that Brooklyn Prince's parents were not that excited about doing a television show mm-hmm. that they, you know, they knew that that was a commitment that they didn't necessarily want to put their kid through because they have a very, they have very nice life in Florida, like as a regular family. And, um, we sort of, the, the woman who brought me the original underlying material 
said to me, you know, what if we just send it to her and let's just see what happens? And we got them to read it, and they and Brooklyn both loved and read the script. And in the meantime, we had been we had been auditioning all of these other kids, and none of them were getting it. Right. I mean, looking back, the idea that we were we decided to do a television show about a nine year old girl without having the said nine year old girl attached <laughs> <Right>. already, <laughs> right. who we knew could actually handle it, it's sort of a it's crazy that we decided to do that because the show could have been a disaster with right. the wrong kid. Mm-hmm. Um, but we ended up getting her and her father to read with John Chu, our director. Um, on a long-distance audition. And the thing that was so remarkable was that Brooklyn and her dad would, like, correct each other. They had this sort of peer relationship where it was like, hey, dad, you missed the line. And he's like, ah, sorry. And you could see that they really respected each other as colleagues as much as, you know, she's, he's also her father. And that's exactly the same as the real Hildy and her father. They deeply respect each other. They mm-hmm. have a very peer-like relationship. They're almost like you know, crime investigative, like crime partners in a lot of ways, the way that they tell stories is almost like the way like people who've been married for 50 years tell stories. Like, remember when you did the thing in the place? Okay, fine. You tell that part. Like, oh no, you got that part wrong. And that's very much Brooklyn and her dad. So we knew that Brooklyn would understand what we were writing in terms of like Reflecting the real Hildy. Oh, it's beautiful. Um, it's it's just a beautiful yeah. um, script. Uh, you know, I, I, the one thing I love about watching creative writing is you know the story, watching the story develop. You know, and so, but but, but before we go into the story, let's talk about the real Hildy. And, yeah. and 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 I saw a social media post where you know she had gotten stopped by a police officer, I believe in Arizona, uh-huh. and then so she videotaped that and they posted it. And then mm-hmm. and you reach you you po- you made a comment to her on social media, and then she said something about she doesn't do any interviews, and it was really oh, funny that's... watching this little mature girl have this conversation with adults yeah. in a very professional level. Talk about that whole yeah. that whole relationship. How I got all kicked off because I was just laughing watching. I, I just watching that whole relationship fall, build itself out on social media and your your interaction. And you're a naturally funny person, Dar. I'm just going to let you oh, know that. Oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. That's really funny. That's really sweet. I, I mean, so, yeah, she is incredible. She's a tiny warrior. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now she's actually not so tiny anymore. She's a, a like 14, 13, 14 years old. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we met her, she was a tiny warrior. And, you know, one of the things that I actually love about that video that you're talking about, by the way, is that's a great example of like using your privilege right. in a way that other people can't. Um, and I think that even though she's a journalist and she's non-biased, I think she's very aware of that. Mm-hmm. I think that she's aware of what she can and can't do and feels the obligation to re- report on those things specifically because she can. Right. Um, one of the things that she said to us was, you know, one of the, one of her, even though she doesn't like it when people call her a young journalist, she's just a journalist to her. She's also aware that, like, being a young female white child in America means that people will sort of say and do things around her. They'll let their guard down in a way that they kind of normally wouldn't. Mm-hmm. And that was, I mean, people literally would just confess things to her. You know, she, in her tiny town in Pennsylvania, she uncovered a meth ring. She uncovered a, a vandalism ring. She, <laughs> and, and basically, these were just people who didn't take her seriously mm-hmm. enough to realize that she was going to be essentially handing them straight into the arms of the authorities. <laughs> right, she right, right, on right. Story. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... We were really just so taken by her and 
we were really taken also by, you know, her relationship with her father, who was a daily news reporter um, for many, many years, covered homicides in the Bronx and covered Trayvon Martin and covered Newtown. And he got so disillusioned by the news and the clickbait of it all that he left. He left New York. He took his four girls and his wife and brought them to Sealsco, Pennsylvania, back where he was from. And he he could write. He was really depressed. Mm-hmm. Um, he was supposed to be writing a book. And Hildy, who he had taken to all of these crime scenes, was the only one of his four daughters who had been interested in journalism, started riding her bike around Sealsco, Pennsylvania and reporting these very small very truthful stories, including just down the street, a man killed his wife with a hammer and she scooped the local paper of that story. Um, and, and then those, the, the story went viral and the comments for the story went viral. The comments were awful. They were all about, you know, you're just a little girl. Why aren't you having tea parties? And she's right. like, if you don't like the news, why don't you do something about the right. news? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I le- and that brought Matt, her dad out of his depression. Right. And, it really brought the whole family shining a light on the truth and reporting just the facts brought the whole family back together. So, I mean, I don't know how you could be not inspired by that story, you know? Well, you know, the thing about it, you can be inspired by a story, but how you develop it and make it and maintain mm-hmm. some level of realness and also entertainment because this is entertainment. Yep. And yep. and then uh, as you built the story out, you know, basically the reason the show worked for me, it really is a parenting show. It's a parenting storyline. It's yep. about it's about a relationship yep. between a coming of age yep. with her, her sister, yep. older sister. You have a marriage that's it's, it's dysfunctional that has to find itself a father, yep. daughter, father, son. It's a lot of A, B, C, D yep. stories. Stories that I felt were really relatable, and, mm-hmm. and, and it's all centered around this. All centers around this young girl, which is saying, "Stay true to yourself. Don't let bullying yep. turn you. Don't let the people not understanding you." And even in the story, as we go through, there's some conflict with the dad, you know, because he suddenly wants to become a, a parent. And, yep. and 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 it's really it's really that's what I enjoyed about it, and and and, and I never was bored in the whole process, but it was just watching this young lady develop, and then you you guys threw in that little nice little skill set. She has like a photographic memory type. Yeah. And uh, by the way, that's real. That's actually true. The oh, okay. real movie has has that kind of memory, so it was it was an easy thing to throw in there because it was the reality of the of the real kid. Well, I, I, all I want to just say is this, is that, you know, this series, I, you know, I, I recommend in every, all my fans on social media, all my fans. I have a 90,000 um, email fan uh, newsletter that goes out every Friday at 9 a.m. I'm putting it in that. Um, Thank you. I, I, from the very beginning, I fell in love with this young lady, Brooklyn Prince. If you guys know anything about him, just talking to my listeners now, look her up. Uh, she's a bona fide star in this. She cries. Yeah. She cries. <laughs> Immediately, she laughs. Oh, immediately, she controls the scene. Heart. She knows how to. <laughs> she knows the level. But uh, throughout, I think the key in this series, she remains a nine. She remains a nine-year-old child. Dar, that was the key yeah. for me. You know, because sometimes yeah. you get these these kid actors, and they go, "Okay, you, you're an adult. You're not. You're not an adult. You're nine it's years precocious. old." Yeah. Right. And I never believe that she was not nine years old she's just a smart yeah. good girl and i bought the storyline that guess what you know she learned these things from following her dad on crime scenes 
And yeah. so all the all the layers that you want in the story to bring credibility to stories, you definitely put in there your, your skill as a writer, as a co-creator, as a co-executive producer, and a showrunner and all. Excuse me, executive producer and co-showrunner shows out and uh, brilliant body of work. So so I just want to say before we close. So what happens when you do a series, Dara? And then they renew <laughs> yeah. it. They renew it, Dara, before you even air. Yeah. What runs through your mind? And then you go. Right. Do you, do Can you I do tell you something? I don't, uh-huh. I don't even know if I'm, if I'm supposed to say this, but I'll say it anyway. Mm-hmm. Like, we actually got renewed before we were even, I think, officially done with the pilot. Wow. We got re- renewed essentially based on the basis of how the pilot looked like it was turning out and how we had written all the other scripts for the season. So they were judging it based on how the scripts were coming in. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, we were pretty floored. We, we were, we were, um, you know, there's those moments where you I'm look around renewed, and you go, how did I? I'm renewed. Like, I'm renewed. Yeah. I'm renewed. I mean, <laughs> it was even more than, even more than I'm renewed. Although, yes, absolutely that. It, mm. it was also like, how did I get this lucky? Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, how did I get this lucky to live this life and have this opportunity? Like, holy crap. So that was really incredible. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, the pandemic happened right in the middle of the second season. <laughs> yes, yes. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, we'll get back to work as soon as it's safe to get back to work. And in the meantime, this has really offered me an opportunity to, to do a bunch of other stuff that I'm really excited about. Right. So, you know. I appreciate, you. I appreciate you. I, I, I appreciate you. I appreciate you. Your body of work. We're talking to the, the infamous, I'm going to call her infamous Dara Resnick. You know, she has oh a great God, series. <laughs> I love you, girl. She has a great series <laughs> called Home Before Dark. It stars my man Jim Sturgis. He's the dad of Brooklyn Prince, who is this uh, this this amazing young detective reporter. I can't wait till the, the next season series of shows come because I'm telling you, I started at 10 o'clock on Saturday morning. I finished at 7 o'clock on Saturday night. Oh I, I watched it in my office. Then I grabbed me a sandwich in the kitchen with my laptop. And then I finally finished up watching my sprinkler system go off in my front yard on my front porch. It was that good. I'm telling you, Home Before Dark is a body of work that's, that's borderline uh, fanatical for me. You know, I'm just, I'm, I'm a nerd, so thank now I'm a you. fan. Okay, so, Dar, I don't want to hold you any longer. I just want to let you know, thank you for allowing me to compliment you and not only on this body of work, but to share a fantasy I got to talk to a person who actually created those amazing scenes on Daredevil which will live with me for the rest of my life my wife and I we both enjoyed that series so she's a fan of your your work as well and uh, just keep winning okay you too this is the bright spot I really needed I I really I hope that you're good out there and I cannot tell you how much I appreciate the support I appreciate you and you keep supporting me and guess what we're friends now okay Dara you got it you too keep winning bye bye At ADP, we work with more than 860,000 companies worldwide. That gives us a pretty good idea of how to help businesses grow stronger. Whether it's through data insights that help you make informed decisions about building a team that works better as a team. Or by keeping you ahead of thousands of changing regulations so you can keep ahead of everything else. Like building that better team. Grow stronger with ADP. HR talent, time, and payroll. 
And we're live here outside the Perez family home just waiting for the... And there they go, almost on time this morning. Mom is coming out the front door strong with a double-arm kid carry. Looks like Dad has the bags. Daughter is bringing up the rear. Oh, but the diaper bag wasn't closed. Diapers and toys are everywhere. Ooh, but Mom has just nailed the perfect car seat buckle for the toddler. And now the eldest daughter, who looks to be about 9 or 10, has secured herself in the booster seat. Dad zips the bag closed, and they're off. Ah, but looks like Mom doesn't realize her coffee cup is still on the roof of the car. And there it goes. Oh, that's a shame. That mug was a fam favorite. Don't sweat the small stuff. Just nail the big stuff. Like making sure your kids are buckled correctly in the right seat for their age and size. Learn more at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. What grows in the forest? Trees? Sure. Know what else grows in the forest? Our imagination, our sense of wonder, and our family bonds grow too. Because when we disconnect from this and connect with this, we reconnect with each other. The forest is closer than you think. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. Next guest is a writer, director, film, and TV star. He currently appears in CBS The Good Fight, which is a sequel to The Good Wife, which has been renewed for a fifth season on CBS All Access, which is CBS streaming service. He's an educated man with an honorary uh, doctorate in arts and uh, humanities from uh, Virginia University. Wow. An honorary doctorate in arts and humanities for Virginia Union University, a BFA degree from cum laude from San Francisco State University. University and a Master's of Fine Arts from New York University. You have seen him play prominent roles in three Spike Lee, Spike Lee films, Malcolm X, Crooklyn, Clockers, plus other movies like Get Shorty, The Sight of House Rules, Gone in 60 Seconds, and one of my favorite, Ransom. He'll be next seen in Spike Lee's new Netflix film, The Five Bloods, that premieres Friday, June 12th. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation, Daryl Lindo. How you doing, sir? You're doing well, brother. How are you? Where you at right now? Uh, I'm in Northern California. Awesome, awesome. Um, I want to get started with this. First of all, I saw the movie, and um, I just want to compliment you on this uh, this role. Uh, when you get a script like this, sir, what uh, are there any expectations? Because um, you have outstanding monologues in it. It's a tortured soul character. Uh, doesn't have a relationship with the son in the care in the movie. Talk, tell us about this script when, it was, when you received it and as it developed along the way. We're talking about the script, The Five Bloods, which will premiere Friday, June 12th on Netflix. Um, when I received the script, it was clear to me that it was a very rich. Yes, sir. Uh, um, I was uh, I was I felt real good about the fact that Spike had called me and, and just asked me that. Uh, offered me uh, uh, the part in the film mm-hmm. um, was one stumbling block that I have when I first read the script, which was um, that the character is such an ardent uh, Trump supporter. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. I am not a mm-hmm. Trump supporter. Mm-hmm. It was a little bit of a stumbling block, but we got over that. I read the script uh, an additional two or three times, and I rationalized in my head how and why um, the character of Paul that I'm playing in the film um, could 
arrive at a place where he feels compelled to to, to vote for this uh, person. Um, larger than that, for me, um, equally if not more important than that, for me is the fact that the more that when I read the script the first two or three times, it became really clear to me that Paul is a very large, tragic character. Right. You mentioned him being a tortured soul. Mm -hmm. And my interpretation was that he is a, um, a tragic character in the same way that a lot of Shakespeare's tragic characters, the, the, the Hamlets and the Macbeths and the Othellos and um, any of those kinds of characters, or, or the larger characters from August Wilson, Harold mm -hmm. Loomis. Right. Um, and I related to Paul as being a tragic, a large tragic character, and that was really interesting to me um, as an actor to kind of investigate that. And so uh, I called Spike back and I said, yeah, I'd love to do this, and, and, I, and I'm in. And to your question of how, how it was working um, on, on, on the film, it was, um, it was extraordinary. Mm -hmm. um, it, we had the, the, the five of us, and I'm including, I'm including Chadwick in this, right. we had a real rich, rich bond. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm, I say the five of us, I'm speaking about... Um, Clark Peters, Isaiah Whitlock Jr., right. Norm Lewis, uh, Jonathan, and and uh, and Chadwick. We had a really, we formed a really, really good bond, and and the bond that we had off screen um, found its way into the work that we were doing in front of the camera. So overall, it was just a very, very rich, enriching, and deeply gratifying experience. Well, you know, I, I when I watched the movie, uh, first of all, it felt like a history lesson to me mm -hmm. uh, which was really Absolutely. which was really great you know to understand that because the vietnam vietnam war was was about history and how a lot how africans were treated african americans were treated and how that era was being dealt with both stateside and when you were over there fighting for a war that you had no 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 what i say no beef in and so how, right. how, how was your right. take on that when you started, even when uh, Chadwick Boseman, how, how he worked the dialogue, I'm talking about Spike Lee, into his character, which was Storm and Norman when you guys were talking. And it really was brilliantly the way it was, uh, it was, it was articulated in the script. Give me your feedback on that, sir. Um, you know, this was um, a really well articulated, as you say, um, story yes I it felt, was i felt it cleanly uh and sharply um articulated just in terms of the script that we had to work mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. and then on top of that the work that we put in i'd like to believe further sharpened um the message um what i had done in in preparation for for doing this work i had spoken with a number of vietnam vets right um first two that i spoke with were my cousins i have two cousins who were uh in nam mm -hmm. uh both of whom uh suffered suffer with ptsd right. uh, one of my cousins more acutely than the other mm -hmm. but they, they shared a lot of their experiences with me and then i um Additionally, spoke with, I think, five, uh, four additional Vietnam vets. And then I spoke with uh, uh, a lady, a major who had been in Iraq. And she spoke with me mm -hmm. at length about her 
um, experiences with PTSD. So going into the film, I felt that I had a really good foundation to start working. And as we worked, when, when you mentioned some of the monologues that Chadwick had right. and the fact that he's, he's articulating really clearly from a, from a socio-political and cultural point of view. Thank you. That we had no business being there. Mm-hmm. And this, Chadwick's um, uh, character, Storm and Norm, mm-hmm. is a man who is attempting to uh, exact a measure of, um, what's the word? I don't want to give the plot away, but if we're going to be there right. fighting right. this war, we're going to get something out of it for ourselves and more importantly for our people. There you go. And that is a central uh, tenet, a central component of, of what this story is. And so to your question about how it felt working on it, um, it felt it felt right. It felt, you know, there's, there's something that is really extraordinary for an actor, and that is, when you're working on material that you believe in. And I believed in this material. I believed in what we were doing as a unit. Um, And I think all of us did. And certainly I believed in Spike's ambition to tell this story in the way that he did. So to your question about how I felt about, you know, um, Chadwick's monologues, they just felt right. They did. They felt and our job then was to present those words in as um, dramatically compelling a way as we could. Cool. Uh, I'm talking to my man, uh, Daryl Lindo, one of the stars of The Five Bloods. It premieres Friday, June 12th on Netflix. The Five Bloods is about a movie about five guys who served together in Vietnam. But it's also a movie about black history, which we just talked about. It plays out like a reunion movie. But there are it's really also a treasure hunting movie, too. Correct. Sure, that's right. Uh, and I think one of the, one of, and, and again, without giving the plot away too Absolutely. much, mm-hmm. I think one of the um, real positive components of this story is that it kind of crosses a number of genres, right? Mm-hmm. You mentioned the treasure hunt. You mentioned the, um, the fact that it's, it's, there are historical components that we're addressing in the film. For myself, I also think of the film uh, as a love story between these five men. Yes, it is. These five brothers have a connection, a deep, 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 deep connection. And out of that connection, they are compelled um, to go back and, and, and set the record straight. Um, so, you know, it, it, it covers a number of different genres. Um, Ultimately, though, I, in my own personal opinion, I think it's a love story between these these guys. And and, and with regard to the historical component, right. one of the most criti- one of the critically important components and aspects of this film is the fact that you have these five cats right. who are front and center in this quote unquote um, war, um, this conflict um, related story because uh-huh. because. Because of the fact that it's set squarely in the center of the Vietnam War, right? Um, it's just amazing. Have, it's amazing. 
story is being told from their point of view, and that rarely, rarely happens. Almost never happens. You know the thing. Uh, I, the thing I wanted to make a comment. That's another on. reason why I think important. I'm sorry, heard, go ahead. Go it's, ahead. It's, it's, it's important what you're saying, and it's important the fact that. I've, I've been fortunate to see you in a lot of great roles. You know, you have a brilliant mm. career. I will tell you what I saw you do in this movie, the monologues you was delivering dead on into this, into this, into the camera was this incredible acting. And I, I pray that I see you rewarded for your acting effort in this movie. It was that good. It was that good. Fantastic. Uh, And that's why I say it was a tortured soul to me because of the fact that, you know, the relationship that you couldn't understand with your son, you know, and and we Mm -hmm. we learn about that. You know, the problem that you Mm -hmm. was coming back into a country that you didn't feel comfortable about. You know, even though there was love, there was still a disconnect between you and your boys. And they kept trying to wrap their arms around you. And we later on find out why. You are emotionally distraught like the way you are. But the journey, can you can you get, uh, get a little bit more detail about that journey? Because I'm not an actor. All I can do is just watch great moments on screen. And when I saw you take all these levels, these anger, anger levels, these happy levels, like the nightclub scene when you were dancing, I'm going to tell you something. I already told Clark he couldn't dance. I told... <laughs> I told Isaiah, anybody doing a funky chicken in a movie can't dance. I'm just going to tell you that right there now. They're wrong. You can't you're doing a funky chicken. You can't dance. And then uh, yeah. Isaiah, he was trying to be cool. But of all the brothers who had their act together, they're wrong. It was you. You had the smooth. Right. You was on the left hand side. You were smoothing it up on that Marvin Gaye song. I said, my man, that's him right there. It was those fun moments in a movie that showed me the love that you were talking about. That played throughout each moment in the movie, even when you were emotionally distraught, they still came to your rescue trying to understand what's wrong, what's wrong. Let us in, brother. Let us in, brother. That's why I was just saying it just it, it, it take it took a moment for you to wrap your head around each scene or you just or you just took each the character I'm gonna play and just stay in character the whole time. Can you talk to us about that? Um, yeah, b- before I speak to that, I just wanted to say something about, because you've mentioned it a, a couple times, the, uh, the relationship between myself and my son, played by Jonathan. What was gratifying right. about um, investigating that relationship in the film is the fact, clearly, as you, as you accurately mentioned, clearly there's a lot of tension um, between uh, myself and my son. However, what was what was what was um, rewarding for me, affirming, is the fact that fundamentally there is love there between these two men, myself and my son. Mm-hmm. And even though it it was a, a very very um, fraught relationship, um, what was what made it what made it interesting to to work on in the film. Um, is the fact that it was clear to me that there was love there, right? And that conflict between the love and the and the lack of love and the, and the, and the dislike and the frustration felt very very human and very real to mm-hmm. me, mm-hmm. and that made it um, rich to uh, to work on in the film. Um, 
What was your original question? Because I, I kind of veered well, off. You, well, had, you no, no, it, it was great, but I wanted to, I wanted to go to another moment because you've answered my question. It was the moment okay. where because I was talking to the guys and it was we were just talking about your acting and it was a, it was a, I mean, I'm not giving away the movie when you walked off from the guys. You know the moment when you walked out, walked off. Yeah, yeah. they say mm -hmm. a storm. Mm -hmm. They say a storm suddenly reared its ugly head in that moment. But you had to stay in character and and, 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 and play it out. Do, can you explain to me exactly what they were talking about? What? Uh, oh, you're saying this is what the other two actors reference. Is that yes, what you're sir. saying mm -hmm. that moment? Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. Yeah, when so you walked off. Let me off. just say this. Let me just say this about that about that, that moment in the film. That was, a, that was a straight up gift from God. And what I mean by that is that as I was walking away from... Um, from uh, my compadres in the film. Mm -hmm. Literally, man, the sky opened up and there was a storm. Right. It started to storm. It started, I mean, the sky, and it just started torrential, torrential rain. The wind was kicking up. And we played through that, right? Right. And kudos to, kudos to the sound engineer because he got, <laughs> he got, got it, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. He, 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 um, able to record all the dialogue that was going on as I was walking away from them. Mm -hmm. But the fact that there was this added dimension of the sky opening up and the, the fact that the scene ended up playing out in a storm right. that Spike and all the technical crew captured on film right. felt to me that the, that the film was anointed, man. When, we, when he said, when Spike finally said, cut, and I walked back toward towards Spike, and Spike had this huge grin on his face. He was jumping up and down. I love it. <laughs> love it. Love uh, it. And I, and it felt it just felt right. And I didn't say this to him in the moment, mm -hmm. but internally I was feeling that was an anointed moment. It was because we could not have planned for that. We could not have planned for the storm to start right at the end of that scene. Right? Well, but well, the fact that it did. That storm did start right at the end of the scene. For me, was indicative of the fact that this work was anointed. And having seen the film, right, um, I still feel that the work is anointed. I'm, I'm gonna tell you something. I, when I, because you know, I, I got a huge background in television and film and producing and all that. So, and I'm, so I'm watching this scene, right, and I'm with my wife. I'm going, how are they getting that rain like that? How that? I, I how, hear you. How, it was a how, complete. It's what we call a happy accident, man. Oh, I'm trying to figure out where the water truck is. I'm trying to figure out how did they drop this water like this? I'm going, and you in it? And I'm like, wow, that was a blessing, man, because you stayed in the moment, though, Daryl. You stayed in it. No, we all did. We all did. And and one of the things that really that really astounded me was the fact that the sound the sound guy right um, he captured it. He mm -hmm. got it mm -hmm. and somehow. Um, and this is an, this is a test. This has got to be a, a, a testament to his skill level. Right. He was able to set the, the, the audio balance in such a way that the fact that it was storming and raining and the wind was kicking up, and he still was able to get. Um, he still was able to get the um, the audio quality. Now, I, you know that was a scene that I did have to go into the studio and do ADR. You know, I, I had to re-record that tail end of the scene. Right. But still, when I first saw it on production, he had captured it. 
And, you know, um, it was just anointed, man. It was I was going to let you know, an, an expert eye didn't catch it, didn't see the... Didn't see any of that. All I uh, I heard right. it. It was played. That uh, you know the thing about I'm very I'm very uh, first of all thank you for being on the call with me because when you see a project you get to get into the mind of an actor. It's kind of like an acting class that I and then I can't act. So so anybody who's listening to this really should gather some nuggets about how to do it right. Talking to, to talking to all three of you guys today has been a blessing of four over four decades of acting and directing and writing skills are being played out in a movie of this caliber. You know and I. I just want to let everybody I'm talking about. I'm talking about it. It was the five bloods consisted of Storm and Norm, which was played by he will always be the Black Panther, Chadwick Boseman. You have Paul played by Daryl Orlando. That's who I'm speaking to right now. Eddie was played by Norm Lewis. Otis was Clark Peters. Melvin was Isaiah Watch Isaiah Whitlock Jr. And then you have Paul's son, played by Johnny Majors. And so when I Jonathan Major, excuse me, because, you know, the thing about it is that when I when I look at an, an individual like you and we do bodies of work and I'm just going to be complimentary here and because Spike Lee said in the article that, you know, I didn't have a CGI budget to make the guys look younger in the flashback scenes. And I and I told the right. guys earlier, whenever I think about my past, I only I only see the people that I see. Which are always younger, mm -hmm. and so so that means that I'm I'm still my age when I'm looking when I'm thinking about that moment, and so you sure. the acting that you guys were doing was so fantastic. I, I, if you guys would have been made younger, I'd have got caught up into oh he doesn't look like that oh they did that because you guys I, stayed your age and stayed the moment and stayed the emotion, it carried the scenes through for me and the reality stayed reality, and so I, I want to really, just let you I guys really that's a very good point. That's a, that's actually that's a great point because have we been you know de-aged, you would have been looking at the um, the, the the technical aspect of right. how it happened and would have been taken out of the story. So I think that's, I think that's a great point, and, I, and I'll, I'll tell you that in terms of playing the scene, yes, sir. Um, First of all, reading it in the script and then playing the scenes, it did not make any difference that there was this apparent age difference because mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. playing the truth of the scene not of the scenes with Chadwick those flat in those flashback scenes right. as far as I'm concerned none of us um, none of us uh, missed the beat and it was just about playing the truth of the scene and, and, and I want to say this too and it goes back to when you say the love story because the love that that Storm and Norm had, that's Chadwick's character, for you guys as a leader, the the best damn soldier that ever lived it in the Vietnam War. That's what he was proclaimed. And and he held you guys. He was the glue that held you guys together. The guy that told you you were going to get back. That told you, you know, we deserve our own level of reparations here. You know, and Amen. right, and and it, it it was that journey of conversation, that journey of the hand slapping. Let's talk. Don't forget that that people think started now when they look at the NBA and LeBron and them doing all those multi levels of hand slapping. Didn't know that started back there with us. Okay, didn't didn't right. know that that was something that was not something new. The last five years they've been seeing on in the NBA on a regular basis. That's the that's what I'm talking about. I I appreciate the time you taking for me taking with me to do this interview because. I'm talking to history. That's you, my friend. I hope history blesses you with Oscar nominations, SAG Award nominations. All the nominations that are available in the fall should come your way. The monologues you were doing dead end on, on those, in those straight to the camera. I'm telling you, Mr. Lindo, were brilliant.
They were brilliant. Thank you. The fact Thank that you, you was able to that. hold character. Now that I know that wasn't fake rain coming down on you, I'm even more blessed no, no, no. by what I see. <laughs> that was real. Thank and, you so much, man. I really appreciate uh, it. I appreciate you. And stay safe and, uh, and during these pandemic times. And I'm a, my prayers go out for you. And good luck, okay? June 12th, the Fly Bloods. God bless you. Thank you. So much, man. Take mm-hmm. Peace. Look through your children's eyes to see the true magic of a forest. It's a storybook world for them. You look and see a tree. They see the wrinkled face of a wizard with arms outstretched to the sky. They see treasure and pebbles. They see a windy path that could lead to adventure. And they see you, their fearless guide through this fascinating world. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. Hi, everyone. Al Roker here. As a guy with his own catchphrase, I appreciate that Smokey's only said, Only you can prevent wildfires. But I'm filling in because there's a lot more to report. Like when there are parched or windy conditions out there, you got to be extra careful with things like burning yard waste. After all, wildfires can start anywhere, even in your neck of the woods. Go to SmokeyBear.com to learn more about wildfire prevention. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. If I could be you. And you could be me. For just one hour. If you could find a way. To get inside. Each other's mind. Walk a mile in my shoes. Walk a mile in my shoes. Walk Walk a mile mile in my my shoes. shoes. We've all felt left out. And for some, that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Walk a mile in my shoes. My next guest is a self-proclaimed original bad girl of comedy. You have seen her in A Star Star is Born, where she shared the screen with Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper. Dola Knight is my name, starring comedy legend Eddie Murphy. She's also part of the cast of Coming to America 2, appearing in the sequel, I Got the Hookup 2, with my man Master P. Plus a new Showtime comedy special, which I just recently saw and laughed my butt off, called Funny Women of a Certain Age. And she was in two of my movies. That I executed to produce. Think like a man and think like a man too. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation for the very first time, Lunell. Hey. How you doing there, Lunell? <laughs> hey, listen, I gotta clarify something though. I'm not self-proclaimed the original bad girl of comedy. That <laughs> nickname was given to me. Okay. I would then. never be so cocky as to say that, but that name was given to me. Well, let's talk about that. What, what does that mean when you say the original bad girl of comedy that was given to you? What were you doing that made you get that name? Well, Rick Sullivan, who was a comedy promoter back I know in him. Oakland, mm-hmm. California. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Rick gave me that name many, many years ago. And I guess he gave it to me because, you know, um, well, several reasons. I was a bad girl. I was a bad girl um, physically. You know, I used to do a lot of little bar fight like that. I was clip, quick to slap that they said something wrong back in the day. I've calmed my trigger <laughs> hand now, of course. Right, right. And, um, but also because I was really, really, um, I guess, bold in my statements and my delivery right. back in the day. And there wasn't a whole lot of women who were talking as reckless as I was then. That you know, there was there was there was people who had um, very um, direct uh, 
opinion, of course, you know, but when the one that is as aggressive those, as you, when that's aggressive as yeah, you, yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I remember about you. You know, you you hit that stage. You were short, but you were a dynamite. You were you were a powder keg out there, and you and and then <laughs> and you know you, you you command the stage too. You always could. Plus, you had that gravelly voice, which made people listen to you. And you and you were you were a character, and it really always uh, like I say the interesting thing about it is that uh, I mean I've, I've I've watched your career, you know I, I lived in L.A. from um, 1990. I finally moved to law to New York in 2005, and I started managing Steve Harvey in 2000. So I got I get to I got to see your career just like I got to see Kevin Hart's career and a lot of talented people who are right. who have risen to, to to levels that they are just exploding and really popular and recognizable. Not only just in social media, but on television. And so, you know, when I when I reached out to my uh, staff to say I want to interview Lunell, you know, it's it you know it wasn't about that. I've never talked to you, or I never, I never sat down and never shook your hand. It's just that I've always been a fan of what you are accomplishing and who what you represent, and you represent on stage to me honesty. Well, I. Thank you for that, because I do try to keep it honest. It's just easier to be honest than it is to be fake and a liar. Mm -hmm. It's just easier to be that in my real life and in my stage persona. I've never been a jokey joke type of comic. I don't tell jokes like Michael Collier, I think, is the king of joke telling. That's true. But mm -hmm. I don't I don't tell jokes. I tell stories like Cosby and like. George Carlin mm -hmm. and, and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And so that's why it's always been hard for me to do something like Arsenio or, 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 or something where I have to be on network television. I have six minutes. Mm -hmm. My setup might take six, six <laughs> right, minutes. Right, you know, so right, 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 right. Yeah, right. that's been difficult for me, but I was able to do it because, you know, when you're presented with a challenge, you, you, you need to step up and do it. You rise so above I haven't it. been able to do it, but it's, it's difficult for me. Well, the thing about it is that how do you how, as, an, as an actress how would you describe yourself are you a character actress are you a comedic actress or what type of actress are you I'm basically a comedic actress but I did a lot of theater before I ever did film and television so I have done musicals and I have done dramatic acting and I there's only one movie I think I've done where I really was straight dramatic and not comedic at all. And that was Never Die Alone. Robbie Reed cast me in Never Die Alone with DMX. Mm -hmm. You know, DMX is no joke. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. um, so that was all about drugs and murder and stuff like that. So I never did any comedy in that. But I call myself a comedic actress because it's just, I, my mind is wired so that I see the humor in a lot of things. And that's my comfort zone but i'm sure that at some point in time in my career i will <clears throat> be approached to do dramatic uh acting again and i always have the problem i think that if i go too deep that i may not come back out you know if i had to uh play you know if i had to do something in like selma or if i had to do something in uh like, you know, Roots or something like that. I think mm -hmm. it'd be difficult for me to go home and turn that off at night 
you know, right, right, right. A I'm lot of people say that strong. they can get too deep into the character. I'm speaking to Lou Nail, uh, the original Bad Girl comedy. Uh, she starred in such movies that you're familiar with, A Star is Born, Ladies Gaga, Bradley Cooper, that incredible movie. Dolomite is my name, Eddie Murphy. I love that movie. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And coming into the much anticipated Coming to America 2, uh, you never left the stage as a stand up. You have a comedy special that you can catch right now with uh, called The Funny, Funny Women. Of, of a certain age that's and uh, you have a couple of movies that are coming up as well let's talk let's go back and talk about see to me you're just naturally funny to me so if somebody gives you a serious line the way you just twist words the way you look it can come out funny and so so you're telling me that when you were cast on in a star is born you were cast in for comedy relief no <clears throat> if you remember i only really had about seven seconds of screen time in the star is born and that was strictly because i have a relationship with bradley cooper and he said i you know i want to throw the nail in here and bradley want bradley loves comedians i mean there was andrew dice clay was in that <laughs> <Right>. movie <laughs> and so Dave was Chappelle. Dave Chappelle mm-hmm. and myself and eddie griffin right so it was just a little quick cameo i you know i wasn't i definitely wasn't put in there for comic relief because I wasn't in there long enough. But most of the pictures that I do get cast in, that's that's what I'm there for. I'm going to just tell you this. I wasn't in the movie. There's a whole lot of people wasn't in there for one second in A Star is Born, Lunell. Okay? You, yeah. you were in the movie. Okay? And, and, yeah. and, and got a credit in the movie. And uh, guess yeah. what? I saw you in the movie because I saw the movie three times. You know, I, I'm one of those people. Yeah. I see a beginning of it, then I see the middle, then I catch the end, then I come back and see the whole movie and go, "Wow, I missed that part." So I saw you in the movie, and so I always tell me one thing. I always knew about you, even though you never spoke to me, you never saw me. I saw a humble person. Did I did I misread you? No, you didn't misread me. Um, and uh, I think that one of the only reasons that we really never spoke to Sean is because whenever I saw you, most of the time you were so immersed in the Steve Orb. You know, I, right. was, at, mm-hmm. I was at the Kings of Comedy mm-hmm. show and mm-hmm. and I would be backstage. And, you know, it ain't like, listen, it ain't like Steve didn't talk to me either. <laughs> so <laughs> it wasn't like... You know, you ignore me, but there was just so much around them at the moment right. that there wasn't time for us to click. Right, um, right. I, I, I know that, um, you know, it's easiest for me to be in the comedy zone. Right. I know that I can do dramatic acting because, like I said, I did theater before I ever did um, comedy. anything else. Mm-hmm. Yes. But um, my, my uh, you know... A Star is Born, I was in two Academy Award nominated films. Mm-hmm. A Star is Born was nominated for the Academy Award. Mm-hmm. I was able to go to the Golden Globes. I was able to go to the SAG Awards. Mm-hmm. And so was Borat. You know, people mm-hmm. forget about Borat. Oh, right. Talk to us so, about that, because that really was your big moment, right? Borat? Well, yeah, but black black people didn't latch on to Borat and still have not. The, some side, but most didn't. That was like a big thing, you know, that got me a lot of attention in Europe. And stuff like that, because Sasha being from, you know, uh, London, I believe, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. you know, was really big with the whole Ali G thing and everything like that. Plus, on the same time that Borat came out, I was on tour with Cat Williams. Mm-hmm. So it's like I had a black 
audience <laughs> right. and I had this white one. Right. And then the other thing that was up about doing Borat was that six months after the film came out, I, I, I was under gag order. I couldn't tell nobody that I wasn't a prostitute because I would breach my contract. And here in L.A., you could be talking to anybody in a bar. You say something like that, which you don't know. is They work for the movie company or they sleep with somebody who worked for a movie company and they'll tell and then, you know, you're in trouble. So for six months when I went out, there was people who see me in a bar and they'd be like, that's that prostitute. And you couldn't deny movie. it. Right. That's amazing. I also didn't get to do any of the promotional stuff. Sasha and Ken Davidian, who played Azamat, they got to go on, you know, Jay Leno. They got to go on this. They got to go on that and talk about the movie. And I didn't get to do any of that stuff. So I could have been that had my quote unquote Tiffany Haddish moment. Mm -hmm. But I get I got shut down a couple of times. You know, Last year, uh, this great movie came out called Dolonite is my name. Starring my man, Eddie Murphy. Uh, uh, it's kind of interesting because I'm a former stand-up comedian, so Dolomite had an impact on me. And so, so watching that movie is almost kind of like watching a bit of my life because I know where I met Dolomite. I performed with Dolomite. And so he had a place in my heart. And and I got to grow. And then I got to see you, Lunell, performing a very, very funny character uh, opposite Eddie Murphy and hold your own. When you go, Eddie Murphy is kind of like the Michael Jordan of stand up comedy to me. OK, so when you share a screen with somebody like Eddie Murphy, do you what are your thoughts when you when you get cats in a role like that? Do you are you nervous? Do you feel you have to step up? Do you do you what, what, what are your thoughts right there, Lunell? Well, <clears throat> I must say that had I not already had a relationship with Eddie, it would have been a total mind, mind you know what I'm saying? Because mm -hmm. he is the GOAT. Like, for me, there's Richard and there's Eddie in that order, and mm -hmm. then there's everybody else. Mm -hmm. um, I knew Eddie socially. I'd been to parties with Eddie and stuff like that, and Eddie knew me. Because I was very good friends with Charlie. Right. Charlie, rest in peace. Charlie, back mm -hmm. Charlie and I made movies together. Charlie and I did projects together. Charlie and I, you know, would kick it together. I went to go see him during the Black and Brown Comedy Get Down mm -hmm. with him and DL and George Lopez and Sandra. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so Eddie knew, knew me, like, for years. And I even have pictures here in the house with me and Eddie and all of that. Also, I knew Rudy as well. Mm -hmm. I, I just was had in my hand the Rudy Ray Moore Dolomite bobblehead that Rudy gave me. Rudy gave me a bobblehead. He gave me a back scratcher. <laughs> he gave me some albums that were rated 5X, like not triple X, like 5X. Mm -hmm. And he gave me his whole video collection. Petey Wheatstraw, The Devil's Son-in-Law, and, and uh, Dolomite is my name. I mean, Dolomite and, um, you know, the like three others. So <clears throat> one of the things I knew for a fact is that Rudy did not want to be forgotten, you know? Right. And when they, my agent came to me and was like, we got an audition for you today, and the movie is called Dolomite is my name. And I said, Dolomite? Who the f 
making a movie about Dolomite. Is this for real? Are you serious? And they were like, yeah. And um, then they told me that it started Eddie Murphy. And I was like, get out of here. I know I'm not going to get to work with Eddie. Like, come on. Y'all just jerking my chain. You must have right. got people you want to audition. And mm-hmm. you just need to, you know, whatever. Just running people through the anyway, room. Just running them through the room. Yeah, they know who just, they got. Yeah. They know who they want. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So I went to the audition. And actually the audition that I, the part I was auditioning for was the part of Lady Reed, not the part that I Queen got. Queen B? Yes. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. I, I auditioned for that role, and I had seven callbacks. We even did a screen test with the wig and with the outfit and everything like that. As it turns out, the role went to Divine Joy Randolph, which is fine. I think she did a fine oh, job. Oh, yeah. As Queen B? B? Yes, she did. And I like her. Yes, yeah, she's an old theater actress. That's why nobody knows who she is, because... Theater is great, but you can you can do eight shows a week for ten years on Broadway, and do thirty minutes on television, and more people will know you in that thirty minutes than will will in the ten years you were on Broadway. Mm-hmm. That's just a fact. Right. So Devonjoy Randolph is a theater actress. Then Craig Brewer, who had done Hustle and Flow, and did Dolomite is my name, and has directed Coming to America: The Quest. Craig uh, liked me so much that he didn't want to let me go. And and he saw my, my dimensions and everything like that, knew I could take direction after auditioning seven times, so he gave me the part of Eddie's aunt. So I was very, very happy to have that because I didn't have to share the room with a bunch of cast. It was just Eddie and myself, Eddie and myself. And I had a great time. Then fast forward to Craig Brewer's now doing Coming to America, and I didn't have to audition for that. Craig Congratulations. Me in. So I'm very happy to be in two Eddie Murphy movies back to back. And this Coming to America sequel is going to blow everybody's mind. I was just telling my um, Instagram live audience earlier that there's some fake flyers going around about Coming to America. They had Tiffany Haddish on them. Tiffany's not in the movie. They said it's coming out August 7th. It doesn't come out till December. Mm-hmm. They said it's Coming to America 2. It's called Coming to America The Quest. So there's fake flyers going around. Don't believe that. But the sequel to Coming to America is one of the most amazing films that I've ever been on. Of course, we filmed on Tyler Perry's old studio and the new studio. Mm-hmm. I got a tour of the lot. I got to see the sound stages. It was so prideful and so amazing. Plus, when you're watching Coming to America in the living room 30 years ago, you can't even fathom that there's going to be a sequel 30 years later and you'll be in it. Mm-hmm. That's why when they say God can dream dreams bigger, God got bigger plans for you than you could ever dream. It's true, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was very um, lucky to be in this film mm-hmm. along with the great John Amos and oh, yeah. with James Earl Jones mm-hmm. and, you know, Vanessa Bell Calloway. Mm-hmm. And there's so many of the people that were in it before. Mostly all the people that were in it before are in it this time. The only person who passed away was the great Matt Sinclair who played Prince Akeem's mother. Right. And then there's cameos and other roles by other people that I can't say. Mm-hmm. It's giving me a hemorrhoid because I got the pictures <laughs> in my phone that I want to drop. <laughs> and I've had them for almost a year now. And I'm like, oh, I want to share these pictures. I want to just show them and I can't do it. That's but awesome. it's going to be amazing. It's really, really, really a wonderful experience. I'm blessed. Oh, one of the great things. On Barack, 
you couldn't promote, but you could promote Dolomite is my name. I'm yes. watching Jimmy Kimmel because they were I saw a promotion said Lunell they promote pre promoted that you was going to be on the show, and when yeah. you came when he introduced you and you came out in that beautiful dress. What ran through your mind? Because I, you know, I, I've been, I, I, I have come out on stage. I've been introduced like that, never at the level that you was introduced, because you, you was introduced as a star on a major late night television successful show. Talk, walk us through those steps emotionally, um, uh, and when you sat down and did the interview, and the crowd reacting to you, Lunell. Well, you know, I had also prior to the interview on Kimmel. I had been lucky enough to obtain a residency at his comedy club in Las Vegas. Absolutely. But some of the people got a chance to see me mm -hmm. before the shutdown. Mm -hmm. um, I was at Jimmy Kimmel's comedy club in Las Vegas every Sunday night at 10 o'clock. Mm -hmm. So we had been talking to them about the fact that, yo, I'm Jimmy's resident. Like, I'm here every week. You know, most people come in, they may do a weekend, they may go somewhere or something like that. But they, I was there every Sunday, every Sunday at 10 PM. Mm -hmm. So when it came through to my agent said, yeah, we're going to be able, you know, you're going to be able to do the show. I was elated because I've always pictured myself sitting at the desk. You know, if it wasn't Carson, then I thought it'd be Leno. Mm -hmm. If it wasn't Leno, then I thought it'd be Letterman. If it wasn't Letterman, I didn't know what was going to happen, but I did get a chance to walk out there from behind the curtain in an outfit that I was very proud to wear by a black designer named Angela Dean. I was able to, you know, be my witty self. I didn't have to do stand up. No, I just was able to sit there and, you know, be me. And, um, it was great. You know, Jimmy's very kind. He's a very kind person. And, um, he was very into me. He make you feel very important. Mm -hmm. You know, I was low-key flirting like I always do. Yes, yes. And very cute at it. Very cute at it. <laughs> <laughs> showing those nails. Showing those nails. <laughs> yeah, all that stuff. So it was um, it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. And I'm glad that I have the tape. You know, the, my daughter was there with me. I had uh, my crew that day was. My agent, my manager, my stylist, my daughter, mm -hmm. and um, Glodine White, mm -hmm. the late Barry White's wife. She's my very dear friend. So she was backstage with her sister, Linda. And, um, yeah, and a couple of more people that I loved. And so I did have a crew, and it was it was great. You know, we celebrated after we went to Yamashiro's, back when you could find dine mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. stuff like that. And um, and uh, it was um, you know, it was dream come true. Well, you know, <laughs> it, 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 and that, that's why I, that's, that's why I was excited about it. You know, when you when you came out there, I saw people standing for you. I'm assuming there may have been some of your crew members say, "Girl, you did it! You did it! You did it!" And then you sit down like a star, like you you belong there. You belong there, and I, and I know this. And I'm not. This is not the end of your journey. It's the start of a even bigger journey. Uh, how are you dealing with this pandemic now, my friend? Before we get out of here, <laughs> I was made for quarantine. Trust me, <laughs> I haven't had I haven't had three you know almost three months to get any rest 
mm-hmm. in the 30 years that I've been doing stand-up. Right. And I, I haven't even had this much time to lay around at home with my husband. Right. Because I was always working from the time that, you know, I started doing stand-up in Long Beach and they went back to Oakland, where I'm from, and was working on the Soul Beat Television Network and then came back out to L.A. and did more stand-up and went on tour with Kathy and started my own tour and got the reservation. I, we don't get 90 days, 90 days right. to lay at home. Mm-hmm. It's not like I'm laying on the beaches of Tahiti. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm at home. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we've gotten real creative. I started my YouTube show. Thank you. For anybody out there who's interested in YouTube or has my Instagram, you can click the link in the bio. It's called Hey Lunell, H-E-Y-L-U-E-N-E-L-L. It mm-hmm. comes on live every Wednesday uh, from three to four Pacific time. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, you get creative when you're at the house. And I've been cooking and doing the mommy thing and doing the wifey thing. I told my husband the other day, I said, I will be going back to work. So enjoy this while you can, because I'm a movie star. Why you? <laughs> I love it. She is the original <laughs> bad girl of comedy. You've seen her in Dolomite. You've seen her in Barat. She is a queen to me. I've I've seen her from afar, and it's great talking to you, Lunell, and your resume. Now, when when uh, when Coming to America come back out in the fall, can I get you back on the show? Oh, you will want to. Yes, absolutely. And then I'll tell you some of the backstory about some stuff because we had some real, real, real. Um, memorable memorable uh times well i'm gonna bring you back uh thank you for doing my show and i know that i consider you a blessing i consider you a gift and i and a a hard worker and that's why i wanted to bring you on my show money making conversation it's about entrepreneurship and entertainment and i want to let people know there's no time frame to success but one thing you have to do is keep working hard and stay focused and if you the blessings will happen based on how much you're willing to put in to the thing that you call your dream. Thank That's you, Lunell. Right. Thank, Thank you, Rashawn. Thanks, and I hope I hope when this is over, I hope I get to see you face to face, and we'll you know toss one back. I will do that. What grows in the forest? Trees, sure. Know what else grows in the forest? Our imagination, our sense of wonder, and our family bonds grow too. Because when we disconnect from this and connect with this. We reconnect with each other. The forest is closer than you think. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. Look through your children's eyes to see the true magic of a forest. It's a storybook world for them. You look and see a tree. They see the wrinkled face of a wizard with arms outstretched to the sky. They see treasure and pebbles. They see a windy path that could lead to adventure. And they see you, their fearless guide through this fascinating world. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. Adoption of teens from foster care is a topic not enough people know about, and we're here to change that. I'm April Dinwiddie, host of the new podcast, Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Each episode brings you compelling real-life adoption stories told by the families that live them with commentary from experts. Visit adoptuskids.org slash podcast or subscribe to Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Administration for Children and Families and the Ad Council. 
our friend. My next guest, he's on the phone, kicked off his career portraying NYPD Blue Detective Baldwin Jones on the ABC police drama NYPD Blue from 2000 to 2005. His other television credits include Ravenwood, Reckless, Common Law, Let's Stay Together, Raising the Bar, CIS Miami, and The Cleaner, and films like No Good Deed, Medea's Family Reunion. Now I'm a fanatic. I'm just let everybody know about Marvel Cinema Universe. So lately, I've been able to see him play the role of Agent Alfonso Mack McKenzie on ABC's Marvel's Agents of Shields. Please welcome to Money Making Conversations, my man, Henry Simmons. Hey, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Henry, first of all, you know, I, I saw the premiere, so and I know the series, so I saw the premiere, so we can talk about that. We won't talk about that. But I want to just talk about your career a little bit here. First of all, how much time do you do you stay Keep staying in shape because you're in shape. Last night I saw you on the premiere and uh, you were looking good, my man. Them, them arms, they let you show the arms off, so the guns. So how much time you in the gym, man? I'm just wondering because I know I don't look like that. I don't, I can't look oh, like that. Oh, man. Some of it was natural, I mean, but I know you're working on it. I know some of it, God gave it to you, but you're keeping it in shape. How's that working out for you? Oh, let me tell you something. It's, it's, it's hard work. I'm not going to lie to you. You know, <laughs> especially for this role right here, I, uh, I worked out more. I was working out six days a week mm -hmm. and I, I didn't take any shortcuts like, you know, some of these actors out here doing uh, these synthetic drugs. Right. And steroids, all mm -hmm. that stuff. I don't do that stuff. Mm -hmm. It's all hard work. Right. Um, but I tell you, it's hard because you get up at, you know, five o'clock in the morning, right. you're, you start working at six o'clock, you get done at eight, you get home at, at uh, nine. 9.30, you spend time with your family. Mm -hmm. It's about 10.30, 11 o'clock. That's when I would start working out. Wow. I would start working out mm -hmm. at 10.30, 11 o'clock at night. Mm -hmm. Get done uh, about uh, 12, 12.30. Study mm -hmm. for the next day. Go to sleep and mm -hmm. get ready and do it all again. Because that's your, that's your career. That's your brand. That's your look. So you can't show up for an audition with a pot belly. That's that. That's not. No, a, no, 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 no. <laughs> that, 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 I'll tell you right now. Even if I wasn't uh, uh, an actor, I would never let that happen. I, I couldn't do it. I could couldn't do, do it, it. Could do it because that's part of your brand. And I always tell people that you know your brand, your model. People have a certain expectation. They see a headshot. They see your body at work. When you come in for an audition, or they give you a role, because sometimes you're blessed like that because they've seen your body at work. When you walk through that door, that's what they're expecting. That that commitment. That same effort, that same consistency. How has it been in, 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 you, in your estimation, with looking at your career, and you have a great body of work? What has been the difficulties of maintaining that consistency, uh, getting the opportunities to stay in front of the person who uh, the, the decision makers of Hollywood, the casting directors? Well, you know, here's the thing. Uh, I'm old school. I'm, I'm going to just tell you right now. I'm old school in the way I approach my uh, mm -hmm. my career now. I, that that's good and bad. Right. A lot of times, a lot of people nowadays use social media. They involve their personal lives, their mm -hmm. family, use mm -hmm. media. There's so, so many, so many aspects of their lives and that gives them so many followers and that does help them. Right. Uh, to some degree in terms of getting jobs. Now, those aren't the jobs I want. If, if someone, if a casting director, if a director's looking at my social media account, right. And seeing, oh, he's popular, therefore I'm going to give him a job. That's right. not the job. I, I want the job that is based on uh, artistry. Right. And so, therefore, and, and I'm, I'm a person that believes in privacy. I, I believe in the old school way of mm -hmm. having mm -hmm. some, not, not showing, like if you go to my um, uh, Instagram account, you won't see pictures of my kids. You know, right. You don't see pictures of my mm -hmm. house and, mm -hmm. you know, all that. 
stuff. And and uh and also I I try to do things with integrity. Thank you. And, and that's what I started. I said there are two things that I want in this business. Mm-hmm. I want longevity, obviously, because mm-hmm. longevity to me is equivalent to success. Uh, it's longevity and integrity. Right. I don't want to start doing things just uh, to be doing them. And and when I look back on it. I question why I did it or I'm humiliated by it. I don't want that. Right. Uh, but I tell you, when you operate with integrity, mm-hmm. that means your journey, your journey is going to have a little bit more ups and downs. It's going to be a little bit longer on the mm-hmm. road. Mm-hmm. You're not taking everything that's just thrown at you. Right. Right. You know, and I believe that, you know, I've looked at it as relationships are key, too. And that and the integrity comes with that. If you have integrity, you're going to have relationships. And if you have relationships, when people need you, they know your body of work. And that's all you're saying. You say, Rashawn, look, you can have the followers, but if you don't have the body of the work, that can bite you in the butt. Because when you exactly. get on that set, you know, and you and sometimes you're challenged by ta- terrific talent. You know, because and sometimes you're not the biggest star on the set. Sometimes you're in a great ensemble and you have to assemble, which is kind of like what you have to deal with with Marvel's Agents of Shields. That's a great uh-huh. ensemble that you have to deal with and you have to mesh your talent inside of them and everything feels relatable, organic. And that's why, I, you know, just watching you on that series has been a blessing to me because you're a black superhero. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm just telling, you know, and people need to understand that's why Black Panther was so popular, because, you know, we all need to feel that uh, we're in that, in that fantasy world, that we are part of the part of the equation. And I'm going to tell you something, man. You know, I know you were on the second season. You were re- like a recurring character. And when they made you, I think the third season, when they made you a, re- uh, a regular, man, I smiled, Henry. I smiled, brother. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. I- you know, and, you know. I, look, I also, I do have. I think there's a responsibility to my artistry, mm-hmm. but I do also recognize there's a responsibility on being a a, a black man in this business because mm-hmm. I know, I know. At least I'm trying to be cognizant of what I represent. Right. Mm-hmm. And I mean, not only to to other uh, uh, people of color, but also my my children. Yes, sir. And and also that's why I want to operate in integrity. And and you know. Uh, when, when I hear people say things like that, particularly about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., when they say, wow, they see this guy and he's inspiring, you know, because he's a black man. Mm-hmm. And, think, and, look, and I'm going to tell you like this. It, it, I was so surprised, number one. You were? You were? That, well, well, surprised and flattered that they made me director. Uh-huh. Right, right, right. Because you don't see, particularly in that position, mm-hmm. I, I, I... I wouldn't think that uh, that they would make a, a, a black man the leader of that squad. I thought right. it would be someone else, mm-hmm. but that speaks volumes into the writers and producers that I work with. Right, right. And, you know, and, 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 and that's that's important because you know, first of all, you know, you're not just an ordinary. You're you're a big black man, and I say that in a good way. Whenever you walk in a room, you feel a room. You know, they go, "Wow, that guy looks good. He's in shape. He, who is that guy? You you are here. Who is that guy? Type person who walks in the room, and oh, okay. and that that's really good. But that's a responsibility that comes with that. And so and so when I look at the, with the so now when I say that when I, when they made you that recurring character, then they made you the regular. 
it made it legitimately a, a, a level of responsibility that I can be engaged into this show because I see a part of me. My kids see a part of me. My friends see a part of me in that show that looks like me. Because guess what? In the fantasy world, we are heroes too. And you are a hero. And that's mentoring other people because, you know, I I, I grew up watching, you know, buying a Hulk, combined Captain America, and they were my fantasies. Now, and that's a good fantasy to have because that's a wish. That's a dream. And to see a black man who looks who looks statuous, who looks in shape, who looks good, that's a blessing, man. And that's a blessing for not only for people of color, but for white America to see you as well as a leader. As a guy oh, wow. of authority, that. no. that's important, man. I just wanted to. Let, that's why I was excited about interviewing you today, Henry. Because you know, a lot of times, you know, as an actor, we get in these vacuums and we just do the best job we can do. But when you step out into my world, you know, the, the you know the the Golden Corral world, the, the Kroger world, the regular people out there shopping at Ralph's, you know, that's that's the people that that look at you and go. You go, why is he looking at me like wait? Because guess what? You are doing. You mean something to us. Henry, uh, well, I'm one of those regular people. I don't know what you're talking about. I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a regular guy, though. I'm a regular guy, but I, I appreciate that. I you know, appreciate that. Oh yeah, you know Alfonso Mack. Now, yeah, I'm telling you something, Alfonso. You know your character on the show now. You know, because I, 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 I'm not shaped like you, but I got a bald head and a beard too. You know, kind of keep it close cut. <laughs> so, I, I, I would just let you know, I, I, I fade in that lane that you live in. Okay, now, there you go. <laughs> okay, <laughs> now, now you're the director, which like Nick Fury in the Marvel movies, he was the director. So you kind of like the Nick Fury character on the television series Marvel's Agents of Shields, because my man Colson, he's what he's like a robot this season or something. He probably he was brought back from the dead. Can you? Can you fill us in on the details? Because I saw the premiere, and uh, and we'll talk about it. Yeah, he. The thing is, he uh, he died, right? And he was kind of. And then there was another character last season, season six, that looked quite a bit like him, and I guess was infused with uh, in another dimension. Mm-hmm. He was a person, uh, but when he died. Um, there's these androids called Chronicoms. Right. And uh, uh, Simmons, the Simmons character, was able to infuse all of Coulson's uh, thoughts and feelings and memories, everything, into this Chronicom. So she created Coulson in a way. Although he is this, an android, he is like Coulson in, in the way he thinks mm-hmm. and moves and feels. So that's the way they were. The writers were brilliant in being being able to bring him back that way. Right. Um, right. Uh, so now he's back, and he his position is different because he's an agent. Right. And also he's different because he has this. Uh, he has strength. He's kind of like a superhero now. Right. 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 Like like Quake. Quake really has the big power out there because she exactly. can like throw people or, you know you come close to her you know she can just blast you away but that exactly. but 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 now he has this an amazing strength he can move real quick and so so it's really ironic because you know he, you know I, I, his, he was first introduced into the marvel series in the movie thor and of course we all saw him die in the avenger movies and then he somehow right. he was brought back to life for the television series which was a great get for us so him dying in front of us we're kind of used to him 
dying and coming back. So, 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 so Henry, it wasn't a stretch. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't a stretch, though. Oh, he back? Okay, cool. Okay, cool. Okay, cool. Okay, okay. Well, let's let's get this little brain transfer straight situation straight so we go on, get on with the show. Because Carlson, he cannot die. He's the vampire of a mom. <laughs> let's, let's put it this way. If he can keep coming back, they can resurrect all, Captain America, uh, 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 everybody. Uh, Iron Man, everybody can get young again, okay? <laughs> if Colson can keep coming back, because he had never had a superpower. So tell us about your character. Uh, you know, we talked about you being the director, but tell about tell us about the whole, uh, you know, because your characters has have had certain levels of evolution in this series and different roles and different leaps and different transitions, yep. different models. Talk about it when you was introduced into the show and bring us forward, okay? Sure. Well, uh, initially, I, I went on just a, a simple audition. And, uh, you know, about two weeks later, they asked me to come aboard. And I was yes, like, sir. sure. But the problem was, at the time, the first season was not on Netflix. I didn't have this. I didn't I didn't know what I was stepping into. I mean, I had an idea because I'd seen a little bit of the show, but I didn't I didn't know mm -hmm. my first day there. It was just. It was everything I thought it would be and more. I mean, there were uh, the, the technology. You walk on set, there's, there's, there were like 20 people at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, all these this weaponry, the names of all these guns, the, the, the aircraft, and, and uh, all this technical language, and the mm -hmm. levels, this, level that. And it was a whole new world. I knew right away that this is what I want to be a part of. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you. Mm -hmm. uh, here's the thing. My first season... I was recurring and I was advised not to do it because uh, people, people were like, you know, don't, don't do that. You know, don't, don't recur the whole season because then they can drop you at the end. Right. But here's my thing. Mm -hmm. I know once I get in, I believe in my talent. Right. I, you, I, I know how hard I work and bet I know on you. Mm -hmm. I bet on me and mm -hmm. I bet on God. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that, that, that's my number one. Uh, so, I knew, I said, no, no, I'm not worried about it. I know I'm going to recur. I'm going to recur. And I know they're going to, there's no doubt in my mind. And that's what happened. Mm -hmm. and then they elevated me to a uh, 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 series regular. But it, the, the trend, the way Mac came about initially, I don't know if you remember, he was so reluctant to fight. He didn't want to fight. Right, he, right. He's a man of peace. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There was no way in the world he was going to fight. Mm -hmm. And he, he, Colson said, look, I need you to get out there. So finally he got out there and, and he was doing everything he could to uh, maintain the fight, but not kill anyone and just do what was needed to be done. And matter of fact, he tried to leave in the, in the uh, first. I remember like, that. I'm not, I'm not cut out for this. Right. Um, but as things progressed, there were times that Colson had to leave. Like, I think there was one time when he had the Cree blood in him mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. he uh, needed to explore that. And, and the one thing I like is that right off the bat, they had um, my character, Mac, butting heads with Colson. Right. Because Colson was using S.H.I.E.L.D. for his own, uh, uh, his own means instead of using it for the greater good. And Mac was against that. And Mac was right. He's like, look, you, you can't be using it to find out all about this creep. But this is about saving the world. This is about doing the, the bigger picture, not just your picture. And he was, but he, I was the one that was vocal against Colson. I like that. Mm -hmm. And but we had mutual respect. And you notice when Colson would leave, he would put me in charge. Mm -hmm. 
So eventually, you know, uh, I was out in the field. They gave me the shotgun axe and the fighting and all that. So when we get down to uh, season, I think it was five, end of five, where they decide who's going to be the director after Colson dies, I thought for sure it was going to be either Quake <laughs> or that's what it was in the, in the comics or May. Um, mm-hmm. May. And when they gave me the uh, mantle, I was uh, I was extremely flattered. I, I, I'm, I'm not going to lie. Extremely flattered because it says two things. It says something about me personally right. as an actor. Mm-hmm. They know that I have the authority. Right. The uh, uh, the characteristics of leadership and integrity. Thank you. And as an actor, the, the strength to carry that mantle. Right. And lead. And as a, a as the character uh, of Mac, they they see through his progression that he has uh, that I've infused him with those qualities as well. Absolutely. And, and they believed in me, and that's that was something that meant it meant so much to me. I, I just I'm not a lie. Well, guess what? It meant something to me too. Okay, it meant something well, to good, a lot good. of people out there of color to see you in uh, an authority an authority figure. Hey, when Nick Fury comes on the screen and ordering the uh, Avengers around, I feel good. Ordering Spider-Man yeah. around, I feel good. Because you go, wow, because we all know that could have been a white character, okay? Easily. Exactly. Could have been a white character. Exactly. So, but they made a decision that based on your talents, color didn't matter. You are the color leader. Color didn't, oh, have mercy. Oh, yeah. It didn't color matter. Color didn't matter. It didn't matter. And uh, because now this is why we're going to go to the series now. This, this, this is the final mission. OK, mm. watching the premiere episode last night, you guys are transported back to 1931. Now, this is why this is important to me. First of all, you were wearing a fly suit. OK, just want to let you know that, brother. <laughs> just want to let you know you were you were looking at you were wearing something. I definitely wear put on because I'm a tailor made guy, Henry. You know, we, I'm just let you know. That's uh, you know how you know how to cock that hat too. You didn't you didn't let me get to the hat. Come on now. I said, look at this fool. Look at this fool got his hat cocked to the side. He is a brother in 1931. <laughs> you a fool, Henry. I, I'm gonna get on you about that hat. I said, I can't believe this fool got these brown shoes on. Okay, signed up, walking down here with these white folks with his hat cocked to the side in 1931. You know that can't happen. <laughs> You're darn right. <laughs> I say, if we're going to do it, we're going to do it. I'll oh, my right God. Now. Oh, my God. Because, you know, it was really interesting because of the fact that this is where it gets interesting because of the fact that it's 1931 and we know the racial situation in 1931. Oh, yeah. It's 1931. We know how women were treated in 1931. And here you are, uh, a man of authority, the boss of these white people. Because mm. we got to talk like this because, because I think that had to be thought out when that time period was picked. They, they, they do, oh, yeah. you know, talk us through that whole process because you knew that time period that you couldn't walk around just giving them orders out in public because that would draw attention. And also when people came to you negative, because the scene in the in the premiere where somebody came to you negative because negative because you were a person of color, you react and you go, ho, 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 don't make no ripples. <laughs> don't make no right, ripples. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think that was really, and then uh, I think Chloe's character, you know, when she was walking into 
to the uh, bar area uh, that that uh, that uh, this guy treated her like she was a a stupid female in his eyes. You know, mm-hmm. why you're not home? You know, taking care of babies, and she reacted to that. I think that is so clever because of the fact that it allows us to see, you know, how how how. Time has changed, but if you go back to that time, it's still the same. But you guys got to play out your roles and uh, the characters that we believe that you are in a period that's not conducive to that particular particular uh, um, social economic uh, social stylings. Talk to us about that when the script was being put in front of you guys. How what did y'all think about it? Did you have any questions when y'all were developing that period of 1931? Well, that was my first question. That was my first question about race because, uh, look, you know, you, you can't deny that yes. I'm a six foot four, <laughs> 225 pound black man walking down the street. You can't deny it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the thing is, is I said to them, now I don't know what they had in motion, right. but I asked them, I said, what, do you, what, how are you going to address the, and, and one of the, uh, executives said, oh, we might say something where, uh, where someone says, oh, you know, hey, you got to walk through the back or something like that. And, and again, I don't know how much further they were going to go, but in, 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 when, we first, when they first started talking about it, I said, listen, I would like you to address that. Yes. I, I would like you to address it more than just something like that because it wasn't something that one person might have felt. Everybody felt a certain way mm-hmm. about uh, uh, black people. Yes. Everybody that was white felt mm-hmm. a certain way about mm-hmm. black people during mm-hmm. that time. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, uh, 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 I'm not saying everybody was racist, uh, but I'm saying that some things were acceptable and some things were not. Thank you. And mm-hmm. a black man walking amongst white people and giving orders and walking in and walking with us in his authority right. and in his power mm-hmm. was not acceptable. Mm-hmm. Now, as a character, there was no way I was going to back down from that. There's Thank no you. way I was going to, I'm not going to walk into a situation and because now look, if it was a different time period, if I was playing a movie where uh, I was born that time and it, not, not, it might be different, yes. but because I'm a man of this age going back in time, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to keep the authority and the power in which I walk in mm-hmm. because I, I'm, I'm not uh, diminishing the story. You right. See what I'm saying? Well, that's why I loved uh, it. That's why I thought, you know, and looking at the 1931, as soon as they said that time frame, I read that. I said, wow, this is going to be interesting watching your character oh, because yeah. you're not going to become five foot seven. OK. And 165 yeah, right. pounds. <laughs> you know, you still got to be six foot four. That's why you cocked that hat and was striding. Yeah. Because when you yeah. walk in a room, like I said, when you walk in a room, even today, you are a, a room changer because of how you look and your physicality. And so. 1931 you walk into that bar immediately everybody looked at you okay mm. you know because they're going okay we got them being in here why is that big black dude in here and who let him in right. you know and, right. and and that's just that just to me is fine with me because that's storytelling but the storytelling that we could not have is that you bowing down or you being talked to badly nah, and nah. not reacting to it that is what i appreciated nah. about last night and thank you yeah. And the thing is, if you notice each time someone like one guy, I think he, he said shadow <clears throat> and the implication. Yes. Me was racial. Now, I, you know, it might have been something different, but the implication for me was racial. Mm-hmm. And in the bar, when the guy started, uh, he started to call me uh, a, a, a racial uh, derogatory word. Right. And and I, 
And yeah, I said, I stepped to them both. I said, what'd you say? Right. You know, yeah, I stepped to them both. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. You know, and that's the thing I put there. I'm not, you know, look, I'm, I'm you know, I'm not going to blow my cover. But the thing is, is that uh, a man in this age, in this, this, this date and time. Right. Uh, has a certain sense, can walk in his authority, can walk in his power. Yes. And, and, and that's something that is ingrained in us. So yes. that was a, a reactionary thing for Mac back then when he, I, was, when he was in the 30s. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. You know, I just want to let everybody know it's a great series premiere. And but I thought that but that's an underlying tone, especially how women were treated in 1931 and how yeah. people of color were treated in 1931. It's going to be played out through the period while they stand down. And I think it's really cool because the writers heated your thoughts and, and a lot of respect because you can't do a great series and you can't send little underlying messages that respect is always the bottom bottom line we're all trying to achieve and and this final mission which is the seventh season of Marvel's Agents of Shields is really uh, special because of the fact that you're the director women have power women are fighters women are not subservient and they're on a mission to save the world tell us about this this final mission and let us know the direction and what can we expect this season Henry well you can expect us to I think it's already been uh, told that we are we don't remain in this time right mm -hmm. we go to different time periods absolutely I think that's already been said mm -hmm. so I'm not giving anything away. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the one thing I could say is that uh, the mission I'm trying to say something without giving away the, the wishes, <laughs> the, the mission, it becomes more complicated because as you know, as, if you go back in time, the ripple, the butterfly effect, you, it's the butterfly effect. If you do something, it changes the future. Mm -hmm. And then maybe if you change the future, then maybe you have to go back to another time mm -hmm. to try to express something. So it doesn't happen mm -hmm. in the present time. Right. So it, it, it's, it's a thing where, and and I, where you were trying to trying to put out fires and trying to do what's necessary mm -hmm. uh, to stop these chronicoms from taking over. Right. But but the thing is is um, like I said along the way, you, you just have to we you know there's going to be some things where it's going to affect people's lives. And, and look, and look like this, because we're moving through time. Right. There are other people that are going to uh, come, that could possibly come back that we've seen before. That's awesome. That's awesome. Henry, I don't want to yeah. hold you uh, any longer, man. I just wanted, I just want to have an honest conversation with somebody I respect, a person I consider a, a mentor for a lot of young people of all colors in this country. But more importantly, in the, in the era that we live today, you know, we all need to look up and see somebody that's doing something different and doing the impossible. And you do it every Wednesday at 10 p.m. Eastern and 9 p.m. Central on ABC. Marvel Agents of Shields, you're the director. The director. Yes, sir. Mr. Mac, yes, the return sir. of the Mac, the turn <laughs> of the Mac. <laughs> I'm telling you something, keep that hat cocked, baby, and keep that yeah. stride, man. And I love you, brother. I love you, man. And I, I want to thank you for thank calling Money Make Conversation. I hope you appreciated the conversation we had, man, because it was an honest one about you as a talent, man. And sometimes you need to be told, man, you're special, man, that you're making a difference, not only when you go to work and take care of your family and you have your faith in God, but you're affecting people people out there, man, because you go to
to work, you take care of your family, and you have a respect for God. You're special, man. I, I'm going to you that. I, and I appreciate that. I've had a, a bunch of auditions. Uh, I'm sorry, a bunch of uh, interviews this week. And I'm, honestly, this was the best one. The questions that you've asked uh, are, are meaningful and insightful, uh, not just for me, but I think for other people, mm -hmm. hopefully. Yes, sir. Now, I, I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. What you're doing is making a difference. Whether you realize it or not, you are making a difference. And I, I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, my man, you keep winning out there. And, you know, we when you know when you got a new movie, now you're my, you're my, we're not scope. You know, when they said Rashawn McDonald want to interview you, you go, that's my boy. That's my boy. Light him that's up. My boy. That's, that's my man. Boy. That's my man. I'm there. <laughs> that's my boy. Hey, man, stay special. Again, everybody, Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. airs every Wednesday at 10 p.m. Eastern, 9 p.m. Central on ABC. Henry, thank you for making this call with me today on Money Making Conference. Thank you, brother. Thank you, John. Thank you. Okay, cool. If you want to hear more interviews on Money Making Conversations, go to MoneyMakingConversation.com. I'm Rashawn McDonald. I'm your host. In this season of giving, Kohl's has gifts for all your loved ones. For those who like to keep it cozy, find fleeces, sweaters, loungewear, blankets, and throws. Or support minority-owned or founded brands by giving gifts from Human Nation and Shea Moisture. And in the spirit of giving, Kohl's Cares is donating $8 million to local nonprofits nationwide. Give with all your heart this season with great gifts from Kohl's or Kohl's.com. Still living in 2021 and manually taking notes? There is a better way. Start the new year with otter.ai. Automatically get meeting notes. Otter.ai works for virtual meetings like Zoom, Microsoft Teams, and Google Meet. Sign up on the web for free or download in the app stores. Otter.ai. That's O-T-T-E-R A-I. El todo sea por un beso deal. Ya soñabas con llegar a McDonald's, ordenar tus McNuggets y tu Big Mac de siempre. Con extra pepinillos, extra salsa especial, extra cebolla, porque tú eres así, extra. Pero luego recuerdas que estás en una cuarta cita. Y quizá ordenar cebollas extra no sea la mejor movida. Hay un meal para cada cita en McDonald's. Ordena por anticipado por el arte McDonald's y llévate dos de tus favoritos, como McNuggets de 10 piezas y una Big Mac por solo 6 dólares. Precios y participación pueden variar. Producto individual a precio regular.